Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. If you're new to the show, I'd like to say welcome. If you're a returning listener, I'd like to say welcome back. Before we get started, I'd just like to ask you a favor. If you're currently streaming this episode, would you mind stopping it and downloading the episode and then listening to it? It's a good way for me to keep track of the downloads. And to be honest with you, the more downloads I get, the more I get paid. I would really appreciate it if you wouldn't mind doing that. And maybe do it for all the content creators that you enjoy listening to. It's a great way for us to keep track of the downloads and put a little extra money in our pocket. So if I could ask you for one favor, that would be it. Now on to the show. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drop, the puck right there goes right to King Blackson. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm-hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. Proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Joe Lazito. And welcome to episode 122. We're off the island again, and this time it's part one of my chat with Trevor Steinberg. But before we get to that, if you're on social media, I am too. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, the links to the podcast accounts, easy for me to say, the link to the podcast accounts for those platforms are available in the show notes. So uh, scroll down, open them up, let's connect, happy to connect, always happy to connect with listeners and uh, and new friends. I, I think it's what makes the world go around. Uh, also, there is a link in the show notes to a book 
called Islanders A to Z. Now, that book was written by Joe Buono and illustrated by Joe Marisich. Who's Joe Marisich, you ask? Well, Joe Marisich is the local Long Island artistic legend who created the logo for this podcast. You've, if you're an Islanders fan, a Jets fan, a Mets fan, uh, if you like sports radio, uh, you have seen Joe's work. His tunes are unbelievable. They always spread like wildfire on social media. And Joe was kind enough to take the time to create the logo for this show. I will forever promote his stuff. Joe is available for hire. So if you're interested in having Joe do an art project for you, you can reach him on Twitter at GraphicsJoker or via the internet at LoudEgg.com. As I mentioned, I am a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. Each NHL team has at least one podcast. Some have two, some have three. Now, I thought I've erroneously been telling folks that I am on the original content side. Uh, today, I, for whatever reason, I don't even remember, um, I checked the website, and uh, Hockey Podcast Network has me listed under the Islanders shows. And I believe I saw three Islander podcasts on there. So... My show, of course, is different because they are an Islanders podcast that follows the team today, gives you a podcast about the goings-on in the current time, where mine is more about interviewing enforcers, and we know that they are headed the way of the dinosaur. So I thought I was original content, but apparently I'm on the team side, uh, but my show is unlike the other Islander podcasts, so... Um, but like I said, it, it, there is no question that there's at least one show for the team that you follow. So check it out, give it a listen, and uh, maybe you'll find a new show to listen to. But on the original content side are three buddies, and I've said it before, those these three guys and myself, I call us the four horsemen of the Hockey Podcast Network when it comes to fan enforcer podcasts. First, the OG, the original gangster, Darren in Saskatoon, the fourth line voice podcast, uh, longest tenured show, longest tenure on the network. Um, now his latest episode was, I believe, oh no, he put out an episode, um, earlier in the week. Well, I think it was, um, listen, I'm Darren. I apologize. I listened to these episodes just as they're, as they're produced. I get the notification on my phone and I listen to it. The last episode I remember, oh, I know what it was. Okay. Well, the last two episodes were sort of um, shit show, Sunday shit show episodes. My week on the internet, he talks about uh, mixing it up with some people, mostly in the Facebook groups. So there was an episode where um, he did a list. I think, Tim, you know who you are. You love the list. It was the top eight duos. Um, and then, okay, the list that was... This past week was the uh, top, the toughest Hall of Fame players. Um, it, some of them were were good, uh, and uh, some of them, uh, you know. But uh, but I'd say definitely uh, listen to that. And uh, and I apologize. He did have someone on who I can't remember. I know he's from New York, and uh, I know he's a Rangers fan. And he did the random questions with him. So um, I don't need to tell you he's from New York. Once you hear his accent, you'll definitely know. But uh, but I apologize for not knowing the name in advance. I thought I made notes here, but apparently I did not. Great preparation, idiot. Okay, 
So definitely listen to the Fourth Line Voice podcast. Next, Five for Fighting podcast with Alec Coden Salen. Now, Alec, he's been AWOL lately. I don't know if he's just living it up down in uh, one of the, Car- what is he in? South Carolina, I think. Living it up, going on vacation, seeing his country music shows. But I think what Alec has done is now perfected the old joke. How do you keep an idiot in suspense? Guilty as charged. Um, Alex's next episode is going to be with Wichita Thunder enforcer Kelly Bent. And hopefully that's coming out soon. His last episode was with uh, Kurt from Hit Club Hockey. I encourage you to check that out. Also check out his back catalog as well. And the fourth horseman is Jordan from the Maritimes. Jordan is on hiatus right now. He lives in the Maritimes. He's out working in Alberta. And um, he'll be back in the fall, which, by the way, is not that far away. So while he's on hiatus, maybe catch up with his his back catalog as well. So to sum up, what you want to do right now, you want to search for Fourth Line Voice Podcast. You want to search for Five for Fighting Podcast. And you want to search for Five in a Game. You want to subscribe to those shows so you get the automatic updates when new episodes are out. And then when you're done, you want to go to YouTube and search for the corresponding YouTube channels that go along with those podcasts. Probably, if you listen to this show, you probably know all about those three guys anyway. But just in case you don't, the Four Horsemen definitely check us out and uh, i of course am the only one that does not have a youtube channel so uh, but please check out those guys their podcast and their youtube channel uh another guy i want to talk about uh on the network is uh my old pal terry ryan uh terry ryan really doesn't need me to help promote his show uh i am so happy with uh what has been happening for Terry, of course. Uh, he's got a, a pretty big podcast here. He's got Shorzy. And, uh, you know, I go back a ways with Terry. So, um, and I know he's he's been through some tough times. He's had some good times. And he's just thriving right now. And uh, I love seeing his um, Instagram stories where he's always out and about. I mean, he's like the mayor of Newfoundland. So uh, I'm really happy for him. And one of his latest episodes I encourage you to listen to is with another old friend, Darcy Harrison. Those two, uh, Darcy Harris, Terry Ryan, two, really two of my favorite people on the planet, just absolute, uh, studs and, uh, and great guys. So, um, definitely check out Terry's show as well. And I think Terry also has a YouTube channel where his, um, I think my episode, my last episode with him, I believe is on YouTube, um, where the, the, um, he actually has his podcast on YouTube. So you can watch the episodes if you want, or you can just listen to them on whatever platform you listen to, but, uh, definitely check that out. So as you know, by now, if you're a regular listener, I am a game used collector, collect jerseys, sticks, gloves, helmets, uh, mostly Islander enforcers and Quebec Nordiques enforcers. But, uh, you know, I've been fortunate enough over the years to meet a lot of players who have done this role. And, um, I'm willing to listen to anything. If you have, uh, uh, memorabilia that that uh, you have that maybe you want to trade or you want to sell or donations donations are accepted um, you know hit me up send me a message shoot me a text shoot me an email uh, perfect example is the guest today Trevor Steinberg uh, Trevor's a good friend uh, but I unfortunately do not have any Trevor Steinberg items in my collection so if you are sitting on any Trevor Steinberg game used merchandise I would definitely love to add it to my collection. So uh, let me know and uh, maybe we can work something out. Now, speaking of Trevor Steinberg in this interview. So 
This is part one of two. Trevor Steinberg was my first guest on the now deceased show Nordique's Knuckles podcast. Uh, that was a show I started after I figured I had run after I figured that this podcast had, had run its course, I wanted to try something different. And the Nordiques were always my second favorite team. I really had an affinity for the enforcers for that team. And I, I wanted to give it a shot. And I was fortunate enough to get a few interviews done. And every single one of them is a home run. Um, again, and I always say it, I say they're home runs, but it's not because of me. It's because of the guests. And Trevor was my first guest. Uh, when I published the episodes, for the Nordics Knuckles podcast, I made this a three-part series. Uh, for this, I've combined the three episodes into two. So the, the episodes are a little longer, um, but there's only two of them. And I'll release this one today, and I'll release part two next week. So if you have listened to the episode, the Nordics Knuckles episode with Trevor Steinberg, not that I'm discouraging you from listening to this again, but it is the same episode. And that's why you'll hear references to the Nordics Knuckles podcast, because I'm not going in. I'm not editing anything out. Um, Trevor was an unbelievable guest, and we ended up speaking for over five hours. So uh, I didn't want to edit anything, and I'm not about to listen to the entire interview again to take out the Nordics Knuckles references. So this is the same interview that I published under the Nordics Knuckles banner, but this show has a larger following than that show did. So I wanted to publish this because I don't want these interviews to die with the Nordics Knuckles podcast. So over the course of time, I will I will publish, as I'm doing today, the Trevor Steinberg episode. I did an interview with Ken McRae. Uh, I did an interview with Dave Marcinician and an interview with Ivan Matulik. And I don't want those interviews to die with the show. So those will be off the island episodes going forward sporadic. I'm not going to put all four of them out in a row, but you will hear those episodes because I want to salvage those. I want them to be a part of this program, uh, the off the island series. So like I said, if you listen to them already on the Nordics knuckle side, you're, you're going to hear the same thing here with the exception of this introduction. So uh, that's for you to decide if you want to listen to them again. I think it's worth another listen. But again, it's not my decision how you choose to uh, spend your time. But uh, but that's about it. I just wanted to let you know that. And as we go forward, when I, when I do the Off the Island episodes with those other guys that I just mentioned, I will remind you again that if you were uh, a listener of the Nordic Knuckles, that these are the same interviews, but, uh, but I'm happy to present this to you again. And, and I know it's content and it's, it's, uh, it's repeating myself, but I just, these guys were so generous with their time and they, their stories were so great. Uh, so great that my voice just cracked. I didn't bring down any water, um, but their stories were so great. The interviews were so well done. And, um, I just, I had to get these out there. So uh, please definitely download this and, uh, and give it a listen. So, uh, so folks, I hope that you people have a great week. I hope that you people stay safe. And I hope most of all that you people enjoy part one of my chat with Trevor Steinberg.
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nordiques Knuckles podcast. So I've put out two episodes so far. They were just me and my stupid solo episodes, which I hate. So I'm considering this to be the absolute debut episode. And I have a, I have a good friend of mine on here. I know he's got some great stories. And it's an absolute honor to welcome Trevor Steinberg as the first guest of the Nordiques Knuckles podcast. Steiny, how's it going today? It's going well. It's going well. I just want to thank you very much for your time, and uh, I hope you're ready. I don't know if I'm ready. I wasn't <laughs> ready for most, most of the fisticuffs I got into, but I'm a willing participant most of the time. Oh, that's for sure. Well, we're going to talk about a little more than the fights, just so you know. But uh, the reason why you're here is because that's part of your uh, your game that you didn't mind doing. And uh, and I know there's people like myself out there that, uh, that appreciate players like yourself. So... Uh, so we're going to get started here. I want to go back to um, a young Trevor Steinberg in Ontario. So every I, I see you're listed as being uh, from Kingston, but when I was researching you, Moscow, Ontario came up. So where are you originally from? Well, I mean, I was born in Kingston, but we moved out to a small town about 35 miles northwest called Moscow, Ontario. It's just too hard to explain mm-hmm. Moscow to anybody, but it's just an intersection you know, it doesn't have a gas station. It does not have a store anymore, but it does have a church, but it's pretty small. Okay. And uh, if I were to get into a time machine and go back in time and watch a young Trevor Steinberg play as a kid, uh, who were you when you were out there as a kid? Who who was your favorite player back uh, as a youngster? Well, I mean, I didn't get the kind of fed with a fire hose or drinking out of fire hose when I was a kid with hockey. I loved it, but I played double D. You know, I was always a Leafs fan, you know, Daryl Sittler, Ian Turnbull, Paul Mateer, all those guys. But, uh, you know, for the most part, that's all we really knew because we only got three stations on our TV, and that was 6, 7, 11, and sometimes two if my dad would turn the aerial outside. <laughs> all right. So I got to get to the bottom of something. Now, I know everyone knows Wikipedia. You can get a lot of good stuff on there, but people can also go in and um, go in and put different things on there. And when I checked your Wikipedia page, it had three nicknames for you. One is the obvious one, Steiny. Obviously, you got the hockey nickname. But yeah. it also lists nicknames Mango and Big Mangsy. What uh, Are those legitimate, and, and uh, what's the origin of those? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> no, the mango I got from my assistant coach here, uh, Robert McIsaac, I believe, was my assistant coach in St. Mary's. And I think it's from the the, the blazing saddles, the big guy that just stuffed his head in the uh-huh. fire to eat. Or, I, think it's cause of my, I think it's because of my appetite. I'd love to say it's because I'm big and strong, but I'm not. <laughs> It's probably because of my appetite, and that's, I guess I could uh, beat up a, a pizza pretty bad after a game. Well, that makes two of us. So that's not the way I wanted to get the word mango, but. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go back in time. We're going to go back to the early 80s, and when I was doing this, I'm like, man, this is 40 years ago. This is uh, this is pretty cool. So um, I, I read somewhere uh, before you were uh, in the OHL, you actually were invited to attend the Ottawa 67's training camp by a gentleman named Jeff McLean. Um, 
Now, I guess apparently you couldn't make the team because you weren't an Ottawa resident, but what was that experience like as a really young player that uh, I, the goal obviously was to get to the OHL at that point, and you were invited to practice or, or take part in a training camp with one of the legendary franchises? It was actually crazy. I, I, if I can take the story, I, I, there was a tournament in Renfrew back when I was young, and I was minor midget at the age, at that age. So um, my dad was not a guy of any arrogance. He's, he's a minister, uh, works with a senior, a senior member of the National Pro Board. So he asked if I could try out, just try out for the team, because I was just so far back in the woods. that. <laughs> and the guy just said, look, no, we got a real good team. So when my dad, the guy actually kind of just said no to even a tryout. Well, the major band midget team was completely out of the question then. <laughs> but my dad actually asked, he said, well, I mean, what good is it? Just cut him the first day if you don't like them. <laughs> they said, absolutely not. And it, so this is as ironic as anything. I, my teacher at school, my gym teacher and my shop teacher, <laughs> um, engineering teacher sorry coached the junior team because they had a son on it one of them had a son on it they didn't think they had enough for the team tryout because it was junior like a juvenile age mm -hmm. so it was with kids that were like 18 so they let me come and skate <laughs> i made the team oh. so I, i'm not sure how i'm not sure so i went to this tournament and by the time everybody kind of thought okay there's the minor midget there's the major midget and then the juniors when people found out that there was a minor midget kid playing for the juniors they all went to watch you know i'm not sure i had the i think i scored a goal or two but i don't think i played exceptionally well i can't remember but again playing up two or three years they just figured i deserved a tryout and it was a unbelievable experience i mean i made a ton of mistakes but you know i played i played okay and that just let me know that I could play. But at that point, I didn't have any idea about AAA hockey, really. None. I was just a dumb kid at about 150 pounds and six feet tall. Very skinny. Well, skinny will come into, uh, come into play later when we uh, discuss uh, what some of your teammates had to say. Uh, but while we're still in Ottawa, you received a compliment from absolute, an absolute hockey legend. And for someone like yourself, and we'll get into your coaching later, I mean, you have to be mentioned with uh, Canadian hockey coaching legends now based on your university career. But way back then, uh, a gentleman named Brian Kilray had actually said after that camp, he thought you were good enough to play in the OHL. Uh, does it get much better than that to get a compliment from Killer Kilray like that? Oh, I knew who he was because of what I'd heard. And so, no, it was, uh, yeah, it was overwhelming for sure. Yeah, it was very overwhelming. And, you know, I didn't even really kind of figure out that they thought that until I kind of got home almost. And at that point, then I went on to, to play for Mac McLean in Brockville, but it ended up being a great experience. So we get to Brockville now and, and, uh, and just for the people listening that, that maybe you're too young to never have seen uh, Steiny play or maybe only know him from uh, the YouTube videos or you know him only from coaching, um, you you were a player 
I mean, you, you know, going back to Brockville, I'm looking at your, your season here. You had 69 points, 47 games. You had 39 goals. But you also didn't mind mixing it up a little bit. You had 182 PIMS. Now, you had some help on that team. Uh, one guy who uh, Nordiques fans and Flyers fans will know very well is uh, Terry Karkner, and he was a teammate of yours on that team, correct? Yes, he he was there. There was Ray Shepard. Yeah, un- great teammates. But, you know, Terry was exceptional, like great guy, yeah. And also another guy who, who uh, minor league uh, hockey fight fans may be familiar with. They also played with Kevin McDonald, correct? Yeah, I don't know what I was going to say. I'm embarrassed that I forgot about him because I actually am with Seattle now, and his dad is with us. Kevin McDonald was probably one of the most mentally tough, physically tough guys I've ever yeah. played with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and as I mentioned, your point totals that year, you had 69 points. Uh, you led the team in scoring. Uh, you were seventh in the league in scoring. You were also second on the team in penalty minutes. Uh, I don't know much about this guy, Dan Chason. He uh, he led the team and led your uh, led the league in penalty minutes. He had 247. Uh, any memories about uh, Mr. Chason there? Geez, I remember him being a good hockey player. Really small guy, very good skater, older guy on the team. <laughs> I think he may have been asked to go home at the end of the year. Mac was a pretty <laughs> tough guy, guy to play for which was good. You know, we, we needed him, but yeah, I think that uh, Dan probably didn't even play the full year and he led the team. Now, 39 goals, five of those came in one game and I don't care what league you're in. If you're in a, in a, a league in Canada and you're scoring five goals in a game, that's gotta be uh it's not an easy feat. Do you remember that game where you scored five goals? I don't remember the whole game. I do remember only cause I've been teased about it. There's, I had a particularly good shot, but that was not that I knew where it was going, but it was quite hard at the time, but um, I wasn't a great skater, so it was all individual, so it was just me on that night, I think, just shooting, and they were just happened to be going in, because I'm sure that there's other nights I took as many shots and didn't hit anything, but that was a a night that, yeah, I can kind of remember after the game realizing, okay, I just got five, that was awesome. (laughs) So, um, obviously, the way um, media covers the sport now, um, the NHL draft is obviously huge. uh, And I'm sure the OHL draft in Ontario is a big deal now. But back then, um, I'm sure it was a lot less covered. You know, the media now is just massive. Um, When did you start hearing that uh, OHL teams were interested in you and that you could potentially be a very high draft pick? I think during the year, maybe this after Christmas, it started. And I still, you know, didn't, I probably didn't even handle it very well, but it was just so grand to me, my family. It was like, what's happening here? It's our kind of, you think it'll all die out and so forth. And, you know, and it didn't. And, and then as the, as it went over, you know, all these, there was, that was when you could pick from the state. So kind of was, I wouldn't say it was added pressure. It was just added speculating whether these guys were, were going to where they were going to go so there are about four of them Olachuk, Rolachuk and and uh I'm trying to think of who it was old yeah old Chuck and a bunch that they decided they didn't want to go to a certain place like say Guelph and at that point I didn't care like I mean at that point I just I want to go someplace and play hockey mm-hmm. that's all I wanted to do so I was kind of the easy choice that year 
the OHL draft is not very big down here. It's obviously not as big as the NHL draft, say, anywhere. But in your town, in your community, uh, how big of a deal was it being picked number one by Guelph? Uh, you know, did your, I don't want to say, was it life-changing? Because at that age, is anything really life-changing? But uh, was your life different the day after the draft uh, as before as it was the day before? To tell you the truth, a few neighbors came around. If I'm not mistaken, it was right in the hay season. <laughs> so, you know, I think my uncle kind of took an hour out and put a sign on the back of his truck, but not that big. It really, from where I was, it wasn't as big a deal as it is now. Like now it would have been inundated with people, but it was like, once I got home, I just kind of knew at that point I was going to Guelph and don't kid yourself. I was kind of getting the tension I did get kind of, kind of was kind of, okay, I, this is a big deal, <laughs> but it didn't get the, the hype that it does now for sure. No. So going into that camp, uh, how much pressure did you feel uh, being the number one pick? Obviously all eyes were going to be on you. Uh, not only that, sometimes uh, in, in sports or even in life, um, here's the new hotshot kid coming in. And, and in junior hockey, I mean, you know better than anybody, you have some you have some 16-year-olds and then you might have some 20-year-olds there. Um, do you feel a lot of pressure going in? And, and how were you uh, taken in by the team? Well, I mean, I love the guys. It was great. I mean, when I got there, I mean, I, I was who I was then. And I mean, I probably, I think it's fair to say I probably a kid that looked back on it needed Ridlin and some <laughs> tranquilizers. But, you know, I was a pretty hyper kid, pretty emotional. So, you know, I kind of knew what I was willing to do, you know, I, or I wanted to do. I wanted to contribute on the ice. And I guess just from kind of the place I was raised, I always never, and I I would almost say it though, admittedly now, it was almost because I was kind of afraid, I kind of made myself play bigger than I was maybe. And that didn't go real well a lot of the time. A lot of people felt that that wasn't what I should do, but it was just, that was in my head at that point because, you know, we had a, didn't have a great team, but everybody kind of chipped in and did everything so I wasn't like I didn't want to be the guy that was scoring goals and playing soft mm -hmm. so I tried to play a little bit more of a physical game which ended up in a few fights and I would say I was never a tough player I just made myself do it do you think going into the uh, camp the season before with Ottawa uh, helped you out because you sort of knew what to expect going into a camp with an OHL team yeah I think so um yeah, I think I do did. Yeah, that that certainly helped. And, um, you know, knowing a lot of the guys before I went in, because like I say, I knew Kirk Muller and so forth like that. So it was good. And I when I got put into my house, I was with an older guy named Jimmy Maine, who who was a real good guy and a guy that really helped me at that point, because, uh, you know, a lot of times he was kind of been through the ringer and so forth. But he was just a good a good guy for me to live with. So you mentioned Kirk Muller. He's a guy that's going to come up a few times during this interview. Uh, what was it like playing with Kirk Muller? And and I ask this of a lot of the guys when they've played uh, in the junior level with with some a player like Kirk Muller. Could you tell back then just like this guy was destined for greatness? I mean, was it was it obvious even back then? Oh, I mean, I think it was. I mean, we were just a completely different team with him in the lineup. I mean, he just worked so hard. 
you know, I always remember Kirk is always kind of being in a good mood and always working his rear end off. And again, I wasn't exactly cutting edge genius on the ice. I mean, what I did, I did through, you know, kind of just what I had, you know, I certainly, I think I lacked hockey sense and the knowledge of the game, but he helped me through a lot of it. And, you know, he coached me as well. And I, you know, again, I can't complain, even though I asked for a trade and in hindsight, I had Joe Contini and there's a guy that, you know, I wish, I wish I could draw from him now because he truly knew how to play the game the right way, which at that point in my life was confusing because it was a lot of system stuff and I'd never played that. Another guy that you played with down there uh, who unfortunately is no longer with us but went on to uh, great success in the NHL was Steve Chason. Uh, how good was he down there? Well, he just got better every year. Chase got better every year. Um, he was good his first year even, and then he just kept getting better. And, you know, you really saw his knowledge of the game, not to mention he was tough, but he, he could play the game too. He was a good player. So you ended up that, uh, that season, you had 104 penalty minutes. Now, some of those were for fighting, uh, the, the most well-known person that I, I see that you fought that year. And I don't know if you, if you remember fighting him, uh, was a, a player in Windsor. He actually fought twice in that game. One was against a, a person named Tyler Verhage, who you fought at least twice that year. Uh, but you, you met up with a guy named Todd Gill, who, uh, some fight fans may remember. Do you remember fighting him? I don't probably because he knocked me out, but I mean, that guy was tough, man. I, yeah. In fact, I think if I'm not mistaken, I kind of know Todd a little bit. He came after me a little bit and yeah. And I knew like, <laughs> there weren't many guys that got into a fight with him without being cut, you know? Yeah. So I don't remember. I mean, I'm going to suggest that I probably didn't win it, but I mean, <laughs> if you're telling me I fought him willingly, then I guess I'll pat myself in the back for at least being a participant. <laughs> Well, I don't know if it was willingly, but you, you definitely were, uh, you, you, you made it happen, I guess, but uh, maybe he kind of coaxed you into it. Oh, he may have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the same. I, I wasn't, and the guys may say what I, I, I really wasn't inside that brave a guy really at all. I probably just would have said, okay, this is better than being laughed out of the rink. Right. Hey, you know what, you know, bravery is, is subjective. And, uh, I think, I think I, I read somewhere that bravery is, it's just being scared of at a situation, but going through with it anyway. So, uh, so I think you know, you you could be humble about it, but you know, you did what you had to do. So. Yeah, yeah, no, no question, and that's uh, that's what most guys just have to do. Yeah. So, a pretty good season for you that year. You ended up playing in the OHL All Star game. Now, I, I was reading that the situation that that got you into the game, it was yourself, uh, another guy everybody's familiar with, Shane Corson. And uh, a player named John Brooks replaced Bruce Bell, Jim Main, and a guy named Bob Probert, who apparently they were dropped from the team for missing a scheduled practice. Uh, and uh, Plater's owner, Joe Holiday actually suspended uh, that uh, Jim Main for the remainder of the season. Do you remember that situation? I don't remember him. Jeez, maybe he did. But Jimmy, Jimmy got suspended, no question. They... I, they went out, I think, and I think, I don't know if they missed practice, but we got the call the next day. And I would, I would probably say that Jimmy Maine made a mistake that year. Mm -hmm. That was it. Mm -hmm. He, yeah. 
he is a wonderful human being, good guy, and he made a mistake, no question. But, yeah, that just proves to, to, to a lot of people that, you know, one guy's fall is another guy's opportunity, right? But yeah. it wasn't the way that I wanted to get it. But, you know, we did end up getting in the game, and it was a good experience. Um, so just a couple of uh, couple of questions about uh, some incidents, not necessarily uh, – you alone, but apparently that year you got suspended two games. Uh, there was a brawl against North Bay. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't remember a lot of it, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I think that was later in the year, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, you ended the season with a brawl against Kitchener. You remember that? No. Okay. All right. No, I don't remember the brawl. I remember we had a huge one in London with, with has always made the tapes with Greg Smith and Windsor, but that was, uh, yeah, that wasn't the same year. Okay. So the end of the season, uh, you ended up ranked 13th in central scouting, which people will know that's, uh, that's the list, you know, the, the central scouting puts out the list of the prospective players to be drafted. Uh, you ended up ranked 13th, which is pretty incredible for a first-year junior player to be ranked that high. Um, but again, I, I think it just comes through. You're a humble guy, and even though you were ranked that high, I, I've read uh, articles where it said you didn't think you'd go high. You thought maybe you'd be lucky to slide into the late first round or maybe be taken somewhere in the second round. Um, is that just is that just how you feel about yourself? Did you feel like you could have done better because you had a pretty impressive uh, rookie campaign for uh, for your OHL season? Yeah, I would say I just came on the scene so quickly more than anything, and I just think I didn't think everybody, you know, either people are going to jump on something the new stock or they're going to be hesitant until it gets a little bit more time, maybe. And um, you know, I know I went ahead of some pretty good players and people, you know, you get reminded of it during the season when they're <laughs> doing better. But, you know, like I said, my circumstances were different and, you know, instead of sometimes maybe looking at it as a, as an opportunity, you know, you think sometimes when you're playing on a weaker team that you're, you're hard done by when sometimes, no, I, I should have probably embraced the fact that I was getting opportunities to do other things that I need, that I needed to get good at. The NHL draft now is covered it's a basically a week long event. It's it's probably three or four days down here, so I can't imagine what the coverage is up in Canada for the NHL draft. Uh, but back in 1984, what was uh, what was the coverage like uh, for the draft? Well, at that point, yeah, sorry, it was the the day of was huge. I mean, we all went up the day before, and um, and again, I don't I don't really remember interviewing with many teams. It almost it was kind of a surprise. I didn't, I don't even think I interviewed with Quebec to tell you the truth. And it was, uh, yeah, it was a surprise for sure. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know where I was going. And again, was just sitting there and it was kind of overwhelming the crowd and the, all the lights and everything. So when I did get my name heard like over, I was, yeah, I was at that point it sunk in. I, Holy cow, this is, I'm walking up in front of everybody. You know, you said something there that I hear you hear very often and it's just, it's, it's not weird to me, but it, it's sort of comical where a guy is drafted by a team that he doesn't even interview with. I mean, I've heard that a million times. So because you don't really remember speaking with when your name was called and it was Quebec, how surprised were you? Well, surprised. Yeah. I mean, 
I, that's when you stand up and you're worried that you're going to slip on going down the stairs. You're just kind of, holy, you know, where's the table when you got to the bottom? Where's the table? And lastly, you're just nervous. Yeah. I mean, I certainly was. I mean, there was no, I can tell you that, I mean, a lot of things, but there's no arrogance walking down the stairs. Like, <laughs> my God, what's happened here? Yeah. I've heard the two most nerve wracking moments uh, for a player are when he gets his name called at the draft and he's walking down the stairs and also um, taking going out for warm-ups for his first shift in the NHL because you don't want to slip. Oh, guaranteed. I'm the guy. <laughs> I'm the guy that slips. And I'm the guy that slips on my own other foot, you know. So I know exactly because a young kid, Shane Bowers, locally just got his first game and they give him made him do two the full yeah. figure eight. And I was going, oh, God, I can only imagine what he's feeling. <laughs> so so in uh, the draft day is special this at that moment probably the the biggest day of your life um but for you was it that much more special that you got to share that first round in that draft day with Kirk Muller who was pick number 2 yeah that, I, I do i i do remember getting a picture taken with him and we were just ecstatic and i mean i was so proud of him you know and excited for him as well because he'd worked so hard but yeah that that was that was special i have a lot of time for kirk as a as a player and a person yeah so i don't know if um i know in the later in the late 80s uh video started to get out of the nordiques and their training camps and they and they were just notorious for they were just absolute gong shows and I'm not sure how the, if that was the case in, in the mid '80s, uh, but for your first camp after the draft, did uh, I know some teams, the the team, the whole team practices together, they scrimmage together, and then some teams separate the rookies from the vets. Uh, how did Quebec do that? If you remember for your first training camp, most part I think that they kept us all together. We had a lot of scrimmages and you know inner squad, the blue and whites, and so forth like that, and. Yeah, I remember them. Yeah, some of them were pretty rough because at that point they were trying to find their identity too and mm-hmm. and get some pretty big guys in there because, you know, they had some pretty good players that they had to protect too. So, um, yeah, it was uh, there were some big boys at camp. Now, it, it's a weird question. I'm trying to phrase this question the right way because although you did play physical and you wouldn't mind fighting, you did go to camp as the first-round pick. So were they looking for you to – try to play an all-around game or uh, were they looking for you to maybe mix it up a little bit or, or do you not know? I mean, I think if they could have mixed it up and been scoring goals, they would have liked that, but I don't really remember anybody telling me anything. It right. certainly isn't like it was today where right. they coach you along and really work on everything they want out of you and, and work on the things they want out of you. And at that point, it probably would have been in their best interest probably to say, stay out of that. If you want to take the body, that's fine. But, you know, you're not you're not that player and we don't want you to be. But you kind of just because of, I guess, the way I just saw the game, I just figured that that was the way that you had to play. And, again, the guys I liked and envied were sometimes a little bit more on the physical side. So I want to throw some names out at you, and you don't have to really go into details on these specific guys, but I, I looked at who Quebec had that year uh, and also who they ended up having in Fredericton. And now in that camp, I believe there would have been veterans like Dale Hunter, uh, Jimmy Mann, Wolf Paymont, Randy Moeller, 
but they're also young guys in a similar position like yourself where you're trying to establish yourself. Um, Gore Donnelly may have been there, Paul Gillis, uh, Richard Zemlak, Stephen Finn. And then you had guys like Mike Huff and Mike Eagles, who people may not think were very tough, but they didn't mind you know, getting their nose dirty. Uh, do you remember, like, like what was it like walking into that camp, especially with, with you walking in with those veterans and you have the Stastny's there and, you know, for, for what, you know, Dale Hunter wasn't a particularly skilled fighter, but it, that wasn't his role, but he, he was a presence, wasn't he? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, he could, he wasn't, he looked to me, he was fearless, you know, yeah. that's why I couldn't understand. I mean, he didn't necessarily have to fight, but he could do anything he wanted almost and just stirred it up and and yeah you're right i mean there were some big guys i mean yeah gordy donnelly and richard zemlock two guys that i have a lot of time for and they they took on the heavy lifting but you know i will say the same thing as you as huff and eagles they weren't backing down from anybody you know and if you took them lightly you would get beat up but you know anybody that goes and you know gets a win or loses against those guys you know they can say they were in you know in with some some pretty reputable guys, you know. Yeah. Now you go back to, uh, you go back to Guelph for your second year. And, and, and again, I wasn't there. I don't know just from the research I've done. It seemed like uh, the second year wasn't as, as great as your first year down there. But saying that you played 18 games in Guelph, you had 19 points. So I think most people would sign on for a point a game, even if, if the, um, the season isn't going as, as well as you had hoped. Um, I read in the first game of the season, you broke your finger at the end of the game. You had a fight. I don't know who it was against though. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, I it actually was during the game. I think it was Sudbury. My, I rushed home. Um, I rushed home to get into the game. I was pretty excited to get back. I knew I was, knew it was going down and I got there and I, I think it was early in the game you know, that I broke my hand. So okay. I was done. So I played part of a game and then they put a cast on that went over my little finger and my ring finger on my right hand. So um, I was out for a while. And then they gave me a playing cast and that was a bit of a problem. So, I mean, I don't really have an excuse where I played, but I certainly didn't have much as far as hands. So, um, and then I broke it again when I came back after after Christmas, and that's when I that's when I got traded. I, and you broke it uh, from what I read in a fight in practice with the aforementioned Steve Chase on. I was best buddies with him. Yeah, and I'll, be, I'll be honest. We, yeah, um, Chase and I went out that night. We didn't we didn't go out out, but he came over to my house, and um, the next day in practice, we we got in trouble for it, and he got he got sent home which was to me was a bit much at that point we we're just at the house and so forth but you know we, we were in the wrong 100 percent um and honestly the fight was me and him trying to kind of show the coaches that we're sorry you know what i mean like we screwed up and you know we know this so we got into a battle one-on-one -on -one battle and we got in a fight and broke my hand you know i, I can remember Steve just being absolutely crushed. I said, no, that's my fault. I mean, you know, but that's exactly what it was. Just two, two dumb guys trying to think of that would actually fix it with the coach. But we really did think if we show up for practice, a real good practice, maybe he'll, you know, realize that we weren't out anywhere. We were just over at my place at the point. And, but the reality is, yeah, we were, 
watching a football game and having some Kool-Aid. <laughs> there was a, there was an article in the hockey news uh, that December that you had left the team requesting a trade, but the more I dove into that story, that wasn't entirely accurate, was it? No, I was, I was felt bad about it. I mean, I wasn't contributing to anything and, and, you know, I can't say that I didn't ask for the trade. I think I had to sit down with Joe and Joe, Joe was actually a nice guy to me, Joe holiday. Um, and I'll be honest, I, I, at that point we weren't winning. And, and so there's probably a lot of emotions going through me and they probably realized that, you know, I'm not, this is going to be a problem the whole year for my thumb. And I think that they just got something going that, to kind of salvage their season so that they could have some healthy players. And I went to London. So I'm certainly not putting it on them. Like they did anything wrong. They did probably the right thing. In fact, I, I still go back and I know to this day, I feel bad because, you know, I thought maybe I wasn't getting the coaching or wasn't, you know, I was one of those guys that wasn't taking the heat. And when I look back on it, Joe Contini was the guy that was telling me, you know, don't go there, go now, you know, if you see this situation at that point, I just couldn't understand. I just wanted to rope and ride and score goals and do it right. And my heart was in the right spot, but Joe was showing me, you ever want to make it, this is what you've got to do. And with us losing so much that probably had this, the starting of us having some meetings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what was your reaction when you got traded to London? Was was it relief? Was it, uh, you know, just all right, a fresh start? Like, what was your uh, reaction when you heard? Well, I can honestly remember it. I, I felt, I'll be honest, at that point, reality hit. I kind of felt like, man, I wish I, there's part of me that wishes I stuck it out with these guys. Cause I really did enjoy the guys. You know, there was Paul Bridges and Greg Royce and all those guys, and I really liked them. And so I went down the road to London, and, you know, I, when I got there, I kind of, you know, I would have liked to have shown up healthy. They had a very good hockey team. Um, I, I felt that I gave them everything I had, but I had the playing cast on right to the end of the year, basically, because it had been broken for the second time. So um, I did what I could do the next year and a half in, in London, but there were some pretty good players, and, you know, I ended up being kind of second, third line there at best. Well, I I got to tell you, I keep hearing you talk about this playing cast. You're still a point of game guy. I mean, I, I got to be honest with you. If if you didn't mention that, I don't know if people would really realize it because you're a point of game guy in Guelph. You go to London, you play 22 games, you get 20 points, nine goals. So, I mean, I, I appreciate your modesty and, and it's and, and sort of self-effacing. And maybe you're not the type that's go, going to toot your own horn. And obviously you went through it, but... I would say, again, most guys are going to sign up for a point, a point of game in the OHL, cast or not. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, at some point, but when you got, you know, the guy ahead of you on the right side is 40 points in, you know, 25 games or, you know, or playing the full season, you know, like a Dave Lauer getting 66 goals, you realize later that, you know, you've got the makings. We had the makings of a hell of a team. I mean, that team should have gone further, and we can all look in the mirror for that. We should have gone further, and um, you know, playing for Don Boyd and so forth. But, you know, we got beat out. There were some real good teams at that point. And at that point, if you remember back, they were like prison rules. So these, these, <laughs> these were really, really tough, tough, tough games, like physical, mean. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I'm glad that this, this makes the segue pretty easy going in. So I'm going to ask you about four guys. I'm going to save the two big ones for last. So 
What uh, What do you remember about playing with Bob Halkidis and Jim Sandlack? Bobby Halkidis, I just remember that he always never had his skates tied up, but I remember him being just unbelievably tough. Like, but he was just, he's this good looking Greek guy, had the <laughs> cool car and, and yet, he, you know, you could, I always used to call him pretty boy. And I liked Bobby. He was kind of my neighbor. But, man, he was tough. He was good. But he always used to just think it was cool just to go warm up without his skates done up. And I was just, holy shit. Like, <laughs> he was a character. And Jimmy Sandlack, I mean, house. I mean, I just, he was just bigger than life at that point. I mean, he was just a big, huge goal scorer, big, physical and again, you know, you wondered when he did get in a fight and do well, but he never got mad. I never saw him mad. Yeah. He was always in a good mood. And and again, I like Jimmy a lot too. You know, I like them both. But yeah, Jimmy was a, you know, I see him on the road now scouting once in a while. But man, they were two big, strong, tough guys. Well, all right. Let's get to the prison rules part. If you're you're playing a game that has prison rules, there are two pretty good guys to have on your side is uh, Kevin Evans and uh, Greg Smith. So what was it like playing with those two guys? Okay, that's where you got to like, beep everything out here. I'm honestly just <laughs> Bird Dog started a brawl in warm-up, of a, in warm-up basically of an inter-squad game. He basically came in and told guys, there's going to be a five-on-five, guaranteed. <laughs> and I, I can't even, I mean, Greg Smith was just crazy. I mean, he, he was a team guy, but he was crazy. Uh, Evans, same thing. I mean, he, Evans wasn't as flamboyant off the ice and so forth, but he would never back down from anybody, anybody, anytime, anywhere. It didn't matter. And the same with another kid called Peter McLeod, another guy there, just off the charts, tough anytime, any place. So you're always trying to keep friends with those and keep their respect. <laughs> and <laughs> they're hard guys to keep respect when they put their, their ideas where they were. <laughs> When you were with Guelph, you played, obviously you played against London. Do you remember playing against Bird Dog? Like, what was it like? I, obviously, it's great having him on the same bench as you, but do you remember playing against him? And, and the thing I always say about him, it's unfortunate that he's not with us anymore, and everybody has Bird stories. He was, like I said about Dale Hunter, and, and obviously they're different styles. I don't think Greg was a tremendous fighter. I think he was tough as nails, but what he brought... You just didn't know what he was going to do. He was just an absolute presence. He might drop the gloves and fight you. He might just lose his mind. So do you remember playing against him? A little bit. And I think if you played him hard, I think I remember him being respectful. But then when I played with him, it was the fact that he didn't, he, he, he was oblivious of consequences. That's the best way. And that's why I always say to my players and my coach, I said, you know, always be afraid of that guy that doesn't care about the consequences. Like if he's willing to, if he's, what he's willing to give up to, to get revenge on you, you better you know, figure it out. Like an Evans we're talking about in a Smitty. Yeah. Smitty could get beat up. You know, is it Mark or Kevin Evans? He could, he could have got beaten up five times. He was coming back yeah. and coming back and coming back and that was what i couldn't understand about these guys how you could be that i guess crazy but you know it was kind of inspiring in a way because it showed a lot of courage i think um and i i have a feeling you'll agree with me and, and i think with all the changes in the rules now in the sport about eliminating fighting and really eliminating physical play 
the unfortunate thing is you eliminate a lot of the characters in the game and a lot of character. And I, I just think you mentioned Greg Smith to anybody who played with him or against him, and they're going to go, oh, my God, and everybody has a Greg Smith story. And I'm sure it's the same way with Kevin Evans. And I think it's really unfortunate uh, what the sport has done to itself, where everything is so cookie cutter now, and you don't have guys like Greg Smith anymore, and you don't have guys like Kevin Evans. I, I just think it's a real travesty, and it's a real disservice to the fans. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to understand it, you know, because I've been coaching in and now I'm scouting in this world, and I see it all. But to be honest, I sit back and see some pretty tough guys in the last few years on commentating and saying, oh, that's a disgusting hit, or that's yeah. – I mean, those are the hits that we were told to go out and look for. And I just, you know, sometimes I get angry when I hear them say that's disgusting or that's cheap and this and that. And I look at it and go, look, that was a good hard hit. And you believed in that a long time ago. So I think some guys, when they get behind a mic, and, and they have to. Yeah. They have to, to, to adjust and adapt and tell people what's right. But there's a little bit of that. I still appreciate the guys that, you know, and again, I think I said this in the last time, I got a lot of injuries through the game. I mean, a lot. I mean, I've had my both my shoulders done and people can say whatever, but I had to live through that. So sometimes I'm a little pissed off. Some of these other guys don't have to live through that, to even just to get to where they are, because it was a significantly different road to get to the NHL if you had any type of physicality to your game. You, you had to fight. You would have been, or you would have been embarrassed, or been laughed out of the league. But yeah, I just think the guys need to say, "Hey, back then it was okay, and now it's not," as opposed to almost buying in that this is the better brand. I don't think it is, but I like some of the safety things they put in, but not all of them. I think with with some of these guys now, I think um, they're just trying to appeal to the audience. You know, I think. They're always the the sport is always trying to get the younger fans. You know, I don't think you or I are the target audience. You know, because we know. I mean, I know from a fan point of view, and you know from a player point of view. Um, so these guys that you know, I, I feel fortunate here on the island when Butch Goring, he's the color commentator for the Islander games. And even though Butch never played physical at all, he, he appreciate, I mean, he played with some legends and he appreciated their style. And even today, like you watch the games and with players like Matt Martin or Ross Johnston here with the Islanders, like he's a guy that still appreciates that. And, and when the Islanders are playing soft, he doesn't mind saying so. So I, I think for Islander fans here, we're fortunate that we have a guy like Butch, you know, grizzled veteran guy, champion, and uh, and he tells it like it is, and he still he still uh, believes in the the old style of hockey, even though I'm sure he can appreciate the way the game is now as well. Yeah, it's we get caught in between, you know. I mean, I'm even like you see a guy coming back, you know, and I just I mean just tracking back as hard as he can, and you know, angling the the, the defenseman, the guy turns up, and the tracker just runs him over, you know. But the guy turns and he's low coming back, and you know. Obviously, it's a hit to the head, but the, the tracker is get, is doing what we all want. He's coming back to play defense. He's coming back hard. He's coming back intense. The guy cuts up. He's low. It's a headshot. Well, there's no viciousness to that. Right. And I, to me, I think that there's got to be a little, and there won't be, a little bit right. more onus on the guy getting hit because, you know, a quick spin in the corner looks horrible. But these guys, they, they kind of understand how to take the hit, draw the penalty. And that's a little bit where I just find and yet 
I don't want to comment because I, the last thing I need to see is somebody walking out on, leaving on a spinal board. And that's not what I want. You know, I'm, I don't want guys hurt, but it is part of the game if it's done honestly. No, absolutely. I, I think this is maybe a conversation you and I should have over a couple of beers uh, when we, if we get together, because I, I think I agree with you a hundred percent, but you can't, you know, the, the phrase nowadays over the last couple of years is uh, victim blaming and people will say, Oh, you're victim blaming. But Anyway, we'll 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 move on. Uh, after London, after the playoffs that year in London, you actually got your first taste of pro hockey. Uh, Quebec added you to the uh, Fredericton playoff roster, and you actually got uh, got two playoff games with the Fredericton Express that year. Oh, now you've been through you've been through training camps, but now you're going up and you're, and you're playing uh, AHL playoff games. What was that experience like? Um. I didn't get in much, but I mean, I got, I got in and played a little bit. It was in Sherbrooke, I think the, it was, and yeah, I got my taste. I, I, uh, I mean, I enjoyed it. I mean, I didn't play much. I think they had a decent team and a lot of guys. Um, I did get called up and actually scored uh, in Quebec that year at the end. I think it was at the end nope, of the year. That's next year. You're jumping that's ahead, Steiny. Jumping yeah. ahead. I, we're going to cover that. I told you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so I think I got a couple games, but I mean, not enough to make a big difference. I can remember being in Sherbrooke. The only thing I remember playing is against Luke Goche, and I see him on the on the trail now, and I always used to joke about it. I was yapping at him one time, and he just looked at me and he goes, don't worry, I know you got a bad left knee. And I just went, wow. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't do anything, but he let me know. And you he know, just, yeah. you, you bring up Luke Gauthier, and again, this is this is what I'm talking about. So you obviously remember the show Rinkside, and we got the, that show Rinkside here too. And that guy is a guy that a lot of people may not know about, but he was on that show every week, you know, hitting guys, playing physical, scoring goals. And again, that's a guy that is just going to fall through the cracks for some of the younger fans. But you bring up that guy, think a guy like Alan Heppel, like the smaller guys that just played like they were 10 feet tall. I, you know, I, I miss, I miss those days. I, I really do. Oh man. It, it, yeah. I mean, they missed it. I mean, another little Kevin Kaminsky. You know? Oh, we're going to talk about killer. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, you're right, man. I, when I look back, there's just so, there's only so many people you can tell the stories to, but you're dying. Once they get going, you're dying to tell them. Yep. So, uh, so you played those two two playoff games with Fredericton. Now you're going into your second camp with Quebec. Um, Did playing those games obviously again? It was a short time, but you got a taste of the professional game. Uh, going into your second camp, does that help you at all? That you know, you're playing even the overagers down in, in in the OHL. They're still kids, and now you're walking into a locker room. I mean, you're walking into a locker room with guys like Ivan Votor, you know, veteran guys like that. You're walking into a locker room with men when you played um, those games with Fredericton, and now you're going into your second camp with Quebec. Uh, on any any type of level, did those those two games with Fredericton help you going into your second camp? Yeah, I think so. If nothing more, there's a few guys in that dressing room that – would have been in the dressing room the night that you're playing in Quebec, you know what I mean? And so forth. So, you know, like, again, like a Mike Huff and guys like that. And again, I don't, I remember them all as being very competitive, but they're all really good teammates and, you know, heading out and saying, come on, let's make sure. And let's work together here. So I, yeah, it's certainly anytime you play with the men at that pace and, and on their team and against them, you, yeah, you, you, 
you gain experience for sure. How good were the Stastny brothers? I mean, you're you're in camp with those guys, and and Peter, they, all three of them were really uh, a big reason why Quebec was always my second favorite team. Obviously, being here on Long Island, the Islanders were my team, but Quebec was always my second favorite team, and Stastny's had a lot to do with it. And and sadly, even though Peter's a Hall of Famer, I still don't think he gets as much recognition as he should. But you're there right in their prime, and you're seeing these three guys play on the line. What? How good were they? I mean, I saw Peter play as skilled as anybody some games, but his compete level, I remember he got a high stick, and I mean, he, it was just pouring out of his face, and he was just disgusted that it wasn't the right call and disgusted that he was going to miss a shift. There was, if, if I didn't see the bleeding, he had no reaction on his face. And his skill level, I can remember him, Ron Tugman I lived with, and I can remember, you know, I'd say, well, what move are you going to do, you know, because we were playing a game, and I, you know, I knew, if if you gave me a penalty shot, I knew what I was doing pretty much. Mm -hmm. It was one. It was either going (laughs) going top glove, hey, bar down, you know, not not over shoulder, but I was going bar down, and or I was going to go backhand deep. And I can remember Peter asking, what are you going to do? And he goes, whatever I want to. (laughs) And then he said, I don't know until I get there. And that, that made me, at that point, I kind of realized that's how he played. Yeah. Everything was he was reacting to. There was, and everything I was doing was premeditated almost. So it was just, he was just at another level of, of intelligence and skill. Um, and he proved it to Tugger too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another guy who is sort of uh, all finesse, like Peter could play, play, not, not physical like a Dale Hunter, but like you said, he wouldn't necessarily back down. Um, a, a real finesse guy. And a, a really another guy who I think sort of gets overlooked a lot is Michel Goulet. Well, Michel Goulet was 50-goal guy in the year before or so. And I remember him, I think if I'm not mistaken, I saw him actually get into a fight. and He was really, he was actually pretty tough. Mm-hmm. But he, again, was a guy that you just, you don't realize till you're done. What an awesome guy. I mean, he actually used to think, you know, if you're sitting on the bus, he might even come out and just say, move over. <laughs> and then he just start acting like a kid, you know what I mean? Joking around and stuff like that. So I really, yeah, he was, oh, he was an incredible. I mean, he was a true 50-goal scorer and skilled upon skilled. And I remember he's using a stick, at just a little tiny blade on it. I was like, how do you do it, man? But <laughs> the old pure shooter, yeah. Now, that second camp, I think I read it was this camp. Did you tear uh, knee ligaments towards the end of that Nordiques camp, your second one? Yeah, I was playing in uh, Toronto. Um, I was just trying to make a move at a guy right at the blue line at the right point when I was going up to the point, and I I thought I could jump, and I actually, I actually jumped and kind of got by the defenseman in the wall, but when I came down, my foot went in a rut and I could just feel my medial collateral go sharp pain. Then when I tried to skate to the bench, it wasn't there. So yeah, that was not, that was in my mind, the beginning of the end because I was so long legged and thin. I didn't have a lot of power. My skating was what lacked. And I think that that was kind of the beginning of the end for me. Um, Because like I say, I just wasn't a great skater. So that slowed me down for sure. Now, 
there, I read there was some confusion between London and Quebec because you had resumed practicing in London once once your knee was uh, okay enough to skate again, but Quebec never actually assigned you to London, and I heard there was some confusion between the two organizations. Do you remember that at all? Um, well, I do remember getting hurt there, and I remember going back to junior. Um they didn't do surgery and I think they should have. And then I re hurt my knee later in the year. And I, you know, if you got hurt up, I don't know the rules, but I mean, I, when I got hurt up, I certainly went down and did not get anything compensation for it. And I didn't ever thought of that at the time. Certainly wasn't on my mind. I just wanted to get healthy, but um, let's just say, I don't think that the injury was handled very well because the next time I got surgery, they went in and fixed it up and did my ACL repair. Okay. They had to go in. I went back to camp the following year. I couldn't pass the physical because it was still so much uh, roughness under and I couldn't train. So I kind of missed two years. So that was, if there was any kind of, I guess, bitter spot, it would have been the fact that I'm not sure. But again, that long ago, maybe there wasn't as much knowledge about the injuries, but it should have been fixed right away and it wasn't. And that's, kind of still a little bit on has been on my mind it's gone now i got you well sorry to bring it up that's all right that's all right <laughs> life's good life's good it teaches you a lot well we talked about playing with kirk muller and, and your second year in london you played with another guy who got to start with the devils and is definitely one of the elite power forwards in the history of the sport and when i say power forward you and i know what a power forward is not like some of the guys they call power forwards today uh what was it like playing with a young brendan shanahan you just knew from day one you knew he was going to be the captain you knew he was going to be the best player um i lived like they say right next door the same he moved in where halkitis was the year before and like I can remember him as like fighting all the tough guys. He would have fought Smitty. Like he had all the courage. He had skill. He had everything. Yeah. He just, you know how you just look at a kid and you just go, he's a purebred. Yeah. Like he's making it. Yeah. Class act. Yeah. Now, uh, again, you did mix it up a little bit in that year, probably from what I saw, obviously I don't have a list of everyone that you scrapped with, but, I did notice a name on your card that people will be familiar with. Uh, he played for Windsor, a, a guy you may may remember named Adam Graves. Uh, you remember scrapping with Graves? I remember him, yep, because I had broken ribs at the time. Oh, Jesus. Yep, I had broken ribs and they froze them. There's another. I had my ribs froze before the game. And you know when they say, how does that feel? <laughs> and you go, it feels kind of, well, yeah, it feels fucked up. Oh, I think they thought that meant it meant that they had all numbed, <laughs> but I can remember my dad being so upset with me. Cause I just thought, you know, whatever it takes, but I will, we had a bit of a brawl with, with Windsor and Adam Graves and I were hooked up and he wasn't being a jerk at all, but I don't know why we started to throw punches. Like it wasn't, but we did, and when he threw a couple, I basically on my feet just crumbled because I couldn't. And all I remember is, I remember who it was. I remember saying, Adam, my ribs are a you know, mm-hmm. mess. I can't do this. Yeah. He stopped immediately, mm-hmm. and he, like literally, if I remember, 
I just couldn't even, I almost didn't want to hold myself up. And he kind of, we just kind of made our, danced our way over to our bench. And, and yeah, I, I don't, I think I missed a while after that, but that, that to me was class act. You know, he, that point he could have done whatever he wanted and he didn't, but yes, I do remember that. I, I don't know how you even did that. I'm thinking it had to be difficult to even breathe and forget about the fight. The fact that you could even skate and play a high level OHL game with those ribs is incredible. It, it, and I'm going to say this and not to pat myself it's stupidity. <laughs> I knew I couldn't play, Yeah, but I, I guess I just felt, you know, if you guys aren't smart enough to figure this out, <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to bow out of this. So I just played. And I, that's, I guess, where I guess I look back and say, I'm, I'm, I wasn't brave. I did everything out of almost vainness just to prove them. I'm, I'm, I'm here. I want to show you what I can do, you know, even though I couldn't maybe get that traction. But, yeah, I, going back to why my dad was mad is he said, you, you, you should nobody freeze his ribs. They, it, it, you could break your rib and go through your lung and you wouldn't know it possibly, right? Yeah. At that point, you kind of get it, and it takes a while, and then you realize, man, that, that was just a dumb move on my part. And thank God for guys like Adam Graves out there. <laughs> uh, that's a great Adam Graves story because I think people, obviously, especially here in New York, he's a, he's a legend with the Rangers and won a cup with Edmonton, and he's just renowned for you know, like I I always say that the two nicest hockey players like like scorers or or point producers like that that I ever met were Pat LaFontaine and Adam Graves and I think I think your story points something out about Graves is that he's like you said he wasn't being mean but he's an intense player but then as soon as he found out you were hurt he turned it off and then he was compassionate and and I think if you could summarize Adam Graves the person that story summarizes him to a T yeah, and that's what kind of – I think that's why as longer I stuck in the game and, and kind of even had experiences like that, you start realizing that what a winner is all about. Maybe it isn't just go a million miles an hour the whole time and have an aggression. There's there's a balance, and, yeah, there's no question. And I think that's – you know, when I kind of mentioned, you know, I'm that over-emotional guy that probably needed Ridlin and medication at that point in my life. Yeah, or or we needed some more guys like that around to show this is this is the way the game should be played. You know, there's a tough element, but there's also the other side to it too. You know, oh, it doesn't have to all be rage and aggression, right? Yeah. Now, uh, after London was eliminated from the playoffs, uh, and you alluded to this earlier, you were called up by Quebec. Now, did you know that was going to happen, or were you surprised when they let you know? I did not know. No, I didn't know at all. In fact, I, I'll be honest, I kind of, th- I think if I remember correctly, I kind of thought, you know, it's over now. I kind of maybe expected I would go to the minors. But again, I don't remember even having a thought in my mind on that particular time in my life, right? Where, yeah. where I was headed or if I knew that much about going. Gotcha. So you end up in Quebec, you play two games. There's a couple of guys I want to ask you about. Uh, we already spoke about Dale Hunter. We spoke about the Stastny's and Michel Goulet. Um, there's a player on Quebec at the time. And again, you, you were only there for a couple of games. Uh, but he was uh, he was on the Islanders, a uh, defenseman named Pat Price, who could who could, was a solid defenseman, didn't mind dropping the gloves. I mean, he was always in the middle of those uh, Northeast Canadians games. Uh, what do you remember about Pat Price? I remember him being a 
he always was joking about his age. He <laughs> he always was making fun of his conditioning. And I remember he used to, you know, kind of, if he could get the towel around him, he used to say that that was playoff condition. So when the <laughs> towel couldn't get around him. So he's a really funny guy. But, yeah, I, I do, and I vaguely remember, but for an old guy, yeah, he showed up. He was tough. Tough old guy, you know, kind of like a Marwa a little bit. Yeah. They were, yeah, they were kind of neat guys, you know. They were aggressive. They played well, you know, and that was really at the end of Pat's career, if I'm not mistaken. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, I do remember him as, you know, again, boating that here's a guy that's that old and he's still paying the price. He's still getting in the odd fight and mixing it up and playing physical. So, yeah, that was something, again, that I thought was kind of neat. Uh, you, short time, but you did play a little bit with Jimmy Mann, who is, uh, he's a guy that a lot of people have stories about, uh, you know, just, uh, would you remember anything about playing with Jimmy? Really tough, intense individual. I remember showing up in boss Buffalo. I get called up or I was rooming with him. And anyways, he, uh, he was telling me fight stories and all these stories. And then he kept going and going. And I said, well, tell me this and tell me this. Did you ever fight this guy? And he told me a story. He says my last one. And he told me a story. And then I said to him, well, come on, Jimmy, give me, give me another one. He said, kid, I told you that was the last. Shut the light out and go to bed. <laughs> then, then when we were skating and uh, we were getting bagged, you know, we weren't, we were both healthy scratched. This was in Quebec though. So I don't know when it was, but mm-hmm. we're getting bag skated and the coach would go okay, over and back. And so we go over and back and, over and back twice in a lightning drill or something. Anyways, again, I wasn't a great skater, but I was a little bit still faster than Jimmy, man. (laughs) I got ahead of him and he two handed me as we were returning on about our second over and back and basically made a point quite clear that do not (laughs) get too far ahead of me, you know, Mm-hmm. let's stick together here yeah and i believe it or not i was bright enough to figure that out i actually let him win a couple <laughs> after that but <laughs> he was joking but he wasn't joking yeah yeah just just another words of wisdom here but don't make me look bad yep and and last guy i want to ask you about from this this time period uh and, and i think He's a guy like like as as little fanfare as I think the Stastny's got and Goulet got compared to other players in say major markets. Quebec had a defenseman named Randy Moeller who who had an amazing career and he and he's still now he's uh he he's, yeah he does the color commentating I think for Florida he's kind of a big deal there. But if you if you weren't watching the games at the time you just don't understand how what a complete defenseman Randy Moeller was. Yeah, and he was tough too. Yeah. Like, yeah, he, yeah, I, I, I had a lot of time for Randy. Like he, yeah, when I, when he was on, you know, you really noticed him. I guess I noticed him more on the road. You know, he was a uh, good guy. He was a little bit older. He, I remember him getting a ton of ice, but I also remember him, you know, never backing down and so forth. And I can remember my very last year when I went. I. I knew it was kind of over as far as my skating, my knee, but I remember just that last ditch attempt just stupid i figured you know if i go after randy you know or he slashed me or something but i went after him and you know he just grabbed me said what are you what the fuck are you doing yeah. you know i i remember that because i mean I, I i know that in his mind he probably thought i should just tune this kid but i think he kind of knew look i've a pretty good feeling this kid's going down <laughs> in the next couple of days and 
So I, I went after him and he just kind of said, Trevor, you don't need to do this. Just go to the bench and let it go. You know, it wasn't, it certainly wasn't fear. I know that. So um, <laughs> yeah, I, I've seen him a few times on Florida's uh, uh, TV and so forth. And I got him happy for him. He's full of life too. Like yeah. full of life joking around all the time. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of someone who was full of life, uh, probably one of the most prominent personalities in the history of the team was the head coach, Michelle Bergeron, uh, the little tiger. What, what are your impressions? What, what do you remember about coach Bergeron? Fucking fiery, man. Just eyes just seething. Every time you looked, he was seething, but I think the best was is when I got called up <laughs> um, from Fredericton one year, and I went, uh, I got called up, and I think I had a good game against Washington. I had a good game against Washington, and I, yeah, we were playing Montreal, and I sco- I, I scored on Patrick Waugh, yep, and I fought Cordic. I did not win, but he ran over Clint Larchuk, so. I was the furthest one away, and I can remember. I can remember going, "Fuck! If I can just get to him, even if I get the shit kicked out of me, I said this could land me. Yeah, <laughs> could keep me up another week." Mm-hmm. So I went over and fought him and everything, and I I literally got a star that game, and I I get it. You know, they were the first rounder there. They had to like look save themselves. Well, I don't know what they deserved, but I scored and fought him. And the next, probably a day later, we had a skate, and then we played Vancouver. And I can remember, I can remember this because it was just, I had four shifts in the first period. I did not get scored on. That's all, but all I can say. <laughs> I, know, I can't remember we got any chances. Probably not, but I did not get scored on. I was, my, my, my stats were zeros across the board, four shifts. And I was like, fuck, you know, I just, Jesus, I ain't going to get any better, guys. We're <laughs> on old Patty Roy and, <laughs> and, and, and fighting Cordic, and I thought, you know, and the next day he pulled me in and he goes, you know, you came here a boy and you're going back a man. How about that? So I was like, okay, I came here a boy. <laughs> I'm going back to the like a minor. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, holy shit. So when, actually when I got down, the guys are just laughing their ass off at me. Like, so you did this, this, and this, and you will never do that again, Trevor, ever. <laughs> You'll never like it just, that's as good as it gets for you. And you still aren't there. In fact, you <laughs> left like 48 hours later. And that's, uh, that was, that was it. So that's really my last time. And then that summer they traded for Lafleur and Deblois, mm-hmm. who are both right wingers. So I knew at that point, if I didn't know, I should have known. I'm, I'm, I have a stamp on me. <laughs> <laughs> but you're a man, at least you're a man. in the <laughs> yeah. NHL, <so. laughs> yeah. I said, so it came up and then, and, uh, Shouldn't I stay if I'm a man and go down if I'm a boy and you know give me another day of this, will you? <laughs> you know, I think I, I think I even thought you know they don't play for four days, we don't play for four days in Fredericton. There's four more days of this salary. Uh, yeah, exactly. Which is important. <laughs> back, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, but no, got went sent down. So, all right, April second, nineteen eighty-six, your first NHL game in New Jersey. Um, what when did you know you were playing when did you find out did you know uh after the morning skate when did you find out you were in the lineup that night jeez i don't know. i think i knew i was 
I got called up. I think I knew I was going in, but, you know, we didn't do the first lap thing or anything. It was just, right. we're on the road starving for wins, and I just, yeah, and it was, you know, kind of a different game. It was, very, it was my first shift, but, it, you know, I like to tell you it was more than a, than a oh, a puck hit me in, the, in front of the net, but that's what happened. <laughs> hey, I, look, I'll take it, man. I say this all the time. And and I love I love your self-deprecating nature, but you know what? There are millions of people out there that would love to say they got a shift in the NHL, let alone scoring a goal on your first shift. Thirty-two seconds in, you had to be thinking this is easy. Well, no, it's getting away from the shot. It hit me, but <laughs> yeah, I did. it was like okay, Jesus Christ! But you don't really, yeah, it was it was pretty cool, man. Like it was and. And uh, it was actually that same game, the uh, that we were playing that Kirk Muller was playing in that game, and I he said he was kind of pissed off at me after the game. He goes, "I play summer hockey with you the whole summer, you asshole." Well, I was he was coming down on a break. I think I may have turned the puck over, but I was back checking. I yelled, "Kirk, Kirk!" And he looked back at me almost like he was going to pass it, and oh. then didn't. And I thought I always thought that was kind of greasy because oh, you know dirty pool. all summer. <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, it was thrill. Yeah, it really was thrilling. And, and again, it's so long ago that I really don't remember it all. But I do, but I don't. You know. Do you remember who got the assists on your goal? Defenseman, obviously. <laughs> well, one defenseman and uh, and another guy who we've discussed already, Risto Siltman, got one assist. And the other assist went to Dale Hunter. Well, I remember Risto Silkman really well because he was an unbelievably funny guy, really good guy, and the best one-timer I've ever seen, a little tiny blade on a stick. And he said, I remember him saying all the time, and, you know, he was showing me how to take a one-timer. And I do believe the information he gave me was dead on because I still give it to the kids I coach now. But I can remember going, where do you want it? And I'm going, like, like right here, like right here. And I was pointing to, I was just pointing just between my legs, just Jesus Christ. And he goes, the front half or the back half of your stick? Because he was saying how skilled he was. Yeah. But he really was. Yeah. Yeah, he was. You want it on the front half of your stick or the back half of your stick? But, again, I just, yeah, that's how I remember Risto, yeah, Risto Sultanen. Yeah. Now, a few days later, you got to play uh, your first game at the Coliseum against Boston. Um, how did it feel to take the ice for the first time in front of the home fans? It was different. It was yeah. pretty awesome. Um, you feel better there than on the road at the point. You're more comfortable because you know everybody's on your side. I'm pretty comfortable with the fact that I, I played Boston a couple times, and I always knew that this was this is how I like the way they play. I like the way they play today. I like everything about them. And so that was kind of special just because I was playing against them. And I'm sure I was nervous because, you know, you got Neely. Mm -hmm. I've had my time with buyers that I'd rather, you know, we'll say no to him next time if I ever see him. Um, But I had a lot of time for him and Jay Miller and those guys. So, you know, I shouldn't have been even thinking of guys like that, but you know, that's what I was thinking when I kind of went into it when, and I wasn't in their league toughness-wise, and I should have been more worried about just playing. But, yeah, I do remember, and it was it was a thrill, yeah. Well, I'm going to pump your tires a little bit more here because, uh, actually, I was saying this to my son last night. We were watching the Islanders game here, and I was telling him that I was going to speak to you today. And I, I was talking about how 
you know, and there are certain guys who play physical that they play really physical at home. And sometimes on the road, it's maybe, maybe not. Obviously, Quebec's biggest rival was Montreal. Maybe 1A would have been the Bruins. And as I was going through the video researching this, you always, always showed up. And it seemed like you were at your best in Boston. You played tough against the Bruins at home, too. But you were always, and I can't imagine that the Garden was an easy place to play. And yet you were there every game getting your nose dirty, scrapping, doing what you had to do. And sometimes guys don't necessarily show up on the road, and sometimes guys don't show up in barns like the old Boston Garden, but you were always there. And, you know, that was, like I said, maybe the secondary rival to Montreal for you guys. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to pump your tires here and say the Nordiques had to know that every game that you played, you gave 100%, and you just gave against the Bruins – I, you know, just everything you had. And, you know, like I said, yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, I mean Joe, I don't want to, you know, I, I'm, I probably sound like I'm, I, I made myself do that. It wasn't something that I wanted to do. I mean, again, you did if you it. look back, but you did it. Yeah. Jay, I can remember Jay Miller lining up with Gord Donnelly and they, they hadn't thrown a punch yet. And then they started throwing a punch in the same play. I can remember the centerman on Boston saying, something to to buyers and buyers just said, Oh, he won't, you know, he's standing right with me. He's left wing. I'm right wing. And he said, yo, you won't fight. I mean, I don't know if you're going to say that to anybody, you got to do it. I mean, I didn't want to, but you know, and I will say that I, I stood in as best I could, but when you can't get a hold of his left, I mean, that thing was coming up from, from the basement right to the 26th floor. And yeah, when you're in front of 20,000 people and you're overmatched, uh, but, you know, I was proud of myself because I showed up. I was proud of myself because I didn't say no. I either could have said, oh, no, because second fight's going to be a suspension. But, you know, you do, you, you do what you've got to do, right? And I guess that's all I wanted to do is leave the rink, not a pussy. <laughs> yeah. I just couldn't bear to have that, and I just, I don't know. Not, I think that was not the way that I should have been thinking, but – a lot of times in my career, that's what I kind of thought. And I, and so if I say I was overmatched, just the fact that you had to mix it up with somebody that you knew was probably better at that than you were. Yeah. But you know, you could say all that, but I'm just telling you as someone who's a fan of that game, man, you know, the effort you put forth, especially in all your games, especially the Adams division games, but it's obvious if people go back and watch the video, whether you were scared, <clears throat> scared or not, or, or whatever you want to say it, man, you know, you, you, you did what you had to do. And- nervous. You don't want to get embarrassed in front of anybody, but you know, going back, you were saying about um, this near the end of my career. And I got to bring it up. Cause I, 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 my dad, and I, I phoned my dad and it, it was a really tough time when I was in the minors. And I can remember back then you didn't, you didn't have cell phones. So, you know, when I called home, there was usually a reason. And I can remember talking to my dad and, and he, he knew something was wrong. And I said, well, and this is when I was in Halifax. So I can't really this remember the year or anything. And I can remember I was so upset, so angry, so disappointed in the way I was playing and where I thought I was being treated. Nothing I could do was, was right. And I had tons of penalty minutes and doing everything. And I remember saying to my dad, um, God damn it. You know, I go on the road, you know, I come, I'm, I'm at home, I'm playing, I play well. I said, and, I don't get any ice time. I said, you know, 
I scored early in the game. I didn't get any ice. I went out in third. I did something. And then I said, I go on the fucking road. And I said, we lose. I said, but I get tons of ice. I'm, you know, I'm working my way up to kind of, you know, getting a little bit of PP time even. And, you know, third line center, third line right wing. You know, and I'm saying these goddamn, and I was at that point, I didn't mean it. You know, I don't. They're my best friends. But you said, oh, the French guys don't show up on the road. And then when I go home, you know, as soon as I go there, I'm going to the game. And I think, you know, I'm playing at home. It's going to be great. And my dad dad said, goddamn it. He said, be thankful those French guys don't show up on the road or you'd never play. (laughs) But he hit me. He hit a nerve with me. And I I say that to some people. is you got to make the most of that, yeah. you know, and, and instead of looking around and judging guys, you know, they got to uh, get better at what they don't do well, mm-hmm. you know, find a reason that the team needs you. And again, at that point, that's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. So I'd actually, even though I didn't like the answer my old man gave me, <laughs> yeah. you know, basically it, it, it was true, you know, just, just, if you figure just a steady pull on the rope and and, and somebody will recognize that. You know, I I think when we're younger, no matter what it is, we don't necessarily like the answers we get from our, our dads or our parents. And then, you know, miraculously, 20, 25 years later, we're given that same advice to our kids. So it's all full circle. But it, I, I that's a whole other interview. Yeah. You know, I lost my father a few years ago. It was time for him. But everything that came out of his mouth was dead on. Mm-hmm. And when I was younger, everything came out of his mouth. I didn't even listen to, <laughs> and you just get it. And I'm trying yep. to pass that on to my kids. But sometimes you got to realize they're not as bad as me, you know, for not listening. But you do realize that it's it's true, man. Experience is everything. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, finishing up that season, you got into a playoff game against Hartford, and um, Hartford, you know, people people I don't think realized there was a, a, a spell there where Hartford was a really, really good team. And, um, you know, I think people associate now Hartford, some people may not even remember seeing them play, you know, before the move to Carolina, uh, Hartford had, had a pretty talented team and you ended up playing uh, a playoff game. Uh, so after those two NHL regular season games, was there a noticeable um, increase in intensity for the playoff game? Yeah, but I can kind of shock you with this is that now they, everybody matches lines, yeah. right? They match and match and match. And I have no idea who was behind this. And I, I should be saying, hey, thanks for having the confidence. I swear to God, the day before the game, they said to me, we'd like you um, to, check, to check Bergeron uh, or who was the Turgeon. Okay, Sylvain Turgeon, yeah. Okay, so, so, so think, like now you'd have a third-line center that was worth, you know, three or four million dollars yeah. checking <laughs> yeah. him. And it was like, you want me, I've never checked anybody <laughs> in my life unless I ran at them from a distance. You mean you want me to, they said, just, just stay on them. Well, I had a hard enough figuring out the system. You know, if I was F1, F2, F3, going down the ice or back. But to say now you want me to, that was where it was at, though. Yeah, that's where hockey was at at that time. They brought me in, and I my job was to check them. I believe we lost the game, but he got a goal or an assist on the power play. So 
I don't know. I would have to ask Sylvain Turgeon. You must have had a pretty shitty game if I was on you the whole time <laughs> and you only got that on the power play. But, like, when you think of that, that was unheard of at that point. At that point, that should have been given right to Paul Gillis or, you know, someone like that that's played in the league. But they just kind of said shadow him. So I was like, holy shit, this could just <laughs> shadow him. <laughs> Yeah, but anyways, that was that was the only game I got. Yeah, and then rightfully so. And but yeah, that's how it went. But I do remember that. That's I haven't told that many people. But yeah, I want you to play versus Turgeon. That's Check not, him. Not too shabby for a guy with only two NHL. Well, games I think what they did is no. Maybe no. Nobody else wanted to at that time. <laughs> in hockey. I ain't checking him. I want to score. Well, then let's get the new kid. But that is not the mentality now. That's a right. huge you know, a huge opportunity for somebody that's got veteran status, right? Mm -hmm. Hockey is like any other job. And and we've talked about, you played a couple of um, regular season games with Quebec. And and we just talked about uh, when you got the massive assignment for a kid your age, where you're playing a playoff game against Hartford and you're shadowing Sylvain Turgeon. Does that give you, well, I guess it's a twofold question. One, does that give you more confidence going into your, your third training camp with Quebec now? Um, or when you get there, is it sort of like it, it, what you did doesn't really matter? You're still starting from scratch because at this point you hadn't really been given an opportunity to establish yourself. Uh, do you remember going into that camp after after playing that playoff game? Uh, yeah, I think that was a season they may have actually traded for Deblo on Lafleur. So I mean, I, yeah, it wasn't like I had anything waiting for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that was kind of. I think you have to do a lot more than than I did to to have them kind of give you that grace period at the next camp. So um, you know, the one game I played in the playoffs, you know, maybe he didn't score five on five, but you know, <laughs> I, I don't think it was enough for them. Uh, and then with the trades they made, I think that you know, the writing was on the wall that I was going to have to come in and have a unreal camp or there wasn't much room. Yeah. Now, um, you didn't make the team that year, but this year was different than the other years because now you're, uh, you're a pro, you're not going back to junior, you're going to Fredericton. And, uh, I've always wondered about this playing with a team that had a dual affiliation. So in Fredericton, you guys were the, obviously the farm team for Quebec. And I guess, um, Vancouver was also sending, their guys there as well, but Fredericton was Quebec's team. Am, am I right? Oh yeah. Yeah. And it was, Hey, some of the Vancouver guys that came down, I'm still great friends with, but it, it was cramped quarters. You know, if you're, you're fighting for the second position, right wing and in, in Quebec's depth, you know, and minors, you still could be a fourth liner because Vancouver could have two. And I don't think there, there, there didn't seem to be any, rules on the coaches or anything which is fair ball you know that's they want to get the best that everybody compete now there's a couple of guys i want to ask you about and actually uh there's three guys only one of them was quebec property two of them were uh vancouver property one guy who played uh played some games here uh with the islanders and people may have heard of his brother uh he had a decent career in the nhl uh scott stevens and this is mike stevens do you remember playing with mike yeah, I remember playing with Mike. Yeah, he was he competed hard. Like he, you know, he he actually got a lot better as he after he turned pro, mm-hmm. and he was always willing. Like he was always willing to, to to stick up for his teammates and do all that. So, yeah, yeah, good 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 teammate. And like I say, I think he got better 
he actually started scoring some goals in the American League, which was nice to see. He played with another guy who he's there's always these guys that I wonder um, because I think he I think this guy was super tough and I would have loved to seen him get an extended look in the NHL. Uh, Jim Agnew. Uh, what do you remember about playing with Jim? Jimmy Agnew was probably my best friend um, when we went and played in Fredericton and Jimmy Jimmy was no nonsense anything. Jimmy as soon as he put the skates on, he was ready to fight. He was ready to fight anybody. And what got me, I think, is, you know, I probably, coming from junior, you know what I mean, I didn't, you know, I wasn't looking for it, but he looked for it. And I, that's what blew my mind is, you know, you look around at the other team and you'd say, okay, he's, everybody does it, right? Who's that guy? Oh, my God, he's a tough guy. And Jimmy would look at that and then you could almost see him get excited and then he would actually go start the fight with the guy. So um, off the ice, he was just an unreal human being, like, you know, ton of good, good principles, well-raised kid. Like he was really a guy to look up to. And then the third guy I want to ask you about is someone who you played with in the organization. And uh, you may have been up together uh, once or twice with Quebec, and that's Richard Zemlak, who always seemed to be uh, in the middle of things uh, every game that he played. Zimmer did what it took. Um Every, yeah, I mean, every camp he went, you know, he, he went, he earned his spots whenever he played, he, he, he didn't miss any opportunities, I don't think, you know, so I had a lot of time for him, and there were a lot of guys like that, there were a lot of tough guys in that, in that whole program, you know, and when Fredericton, for those years, there were some real tough guys, and and obviously Zemmer was one of them, and maybe under different conditions, and a different team, he would have got up more. Now, you, you played um, part of the year in Quebec, most of the year in Fredericton. I have eight eight guys that I was able to see that you fought that year, and I, I don't think the names are necessarily important. Um, out of the eight players that I have you fighting, seven of them were against other maritime teams. And I, I've always, I always love asking guys that played in, in that division – how insane were those games, you know, and you experienced it with, with Fredericton and then later with Halifax, but the geography of it meant you played those maritime teams a bunch, and this was your first go at it, uh, yeah, your first year pro. What do you remember from those games against those other maritime teams? Do you mean in the American League? Or, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, I mean, there was... I don't know, just always added in your own division, I think. I, You know, even in junior and everywhere, you, the rivals are fun. I mean, that's the ones you get really amped up for. You know, I can remember, you know, you go over at a conference and play a team once. I mean, you you, you got to find that in you where you didn't have to find it in you when you played Moncton or when you played Halifax or Fredericton or St. John or anybody like that. Um, it just... It was already a grudge match. Now, um, Merry Christmas to you that year. Right after Christmas, uh, you get the call up to Quebec, so that must have been uh, been pretty exciting. Christmas is always a nice time of year for everybody, and then right around the holidays, you get the call. Do you remember getting called up that year? That was my first year, or second year. This was the second year. You had already you were already a goal scorer in the NHL. You had already <laughs> scored your your first yeah, NHL goal, so this is the the second call up. Yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, any chance I got up? I'm trying to think if that's my four-game stint or... This was your six-game stint. Six-game, yeah, and I think that was what I was... I mean, I thought I went up there and played okay. Um, uh, I think that was when we played Montreal and so forth like that, if, mm-hmm. it was, if I'm correct. And yep. So, yeah, I, I mean, I guess it might, when I went, I can remember joking with probably Max when he picked me up, and I I said, geez, you know, I fought Cordic, I scored a goal, the next game I get you know, six or seven shifts don't score on. And I got thinking, why would they send me down now when they probably have my attention and I'm feeling good? And I said, I mean, it's not like they had to wait a long time for me to screw up (laughs) to send me down. I just thought it was really odd timing. I mean, you know, a lot of people did, you know, it wasn't like I played well a lot. (laughs) And so I had a few games where I thought I did something, you know, fuck or scored. Uh, which I guess was the winner, even though it was a four-one game. And then, you know, like forty-eight hours later, you're you're going going down. So that was puzzling. But you know, um, they probably I I guess I should be fortunate. I got called up. Yeah. Now um, we already talked about um, your first NHL goal, and for those of you who may have uh, blinked, it was end to end. You know, it just t- you took the puck behind the uh, behind your net, went end to end, went through everybody top shelf if i remember that's how you described it i think that's how i remember it but let's talk about your first nhl fight if you remember uh you didn't go after uh, a shrinking violet here your first official nhl fight was against kenny danico you remember that one at all uh a little bit it was more i'm going to suggest wrestling match because he's so strong like i think yeah um and i i had met ken danico so I I don't know. You just feel weird like you're, when you're out there. Sometimes you feel when you know a guy, he thinks you're going to take him for granted and not fight. So I'm going to guess that I probably half started it and then he probably finished it. But I don't remember it being anything overly eventful. Now, again, I want to remind people, you were you were a first-round pick, but the scrapping was a part of your game. Um, for, for someone like yourself, yourself, you know, that you're going to have to do that at some point. Is there a sense of relief getting the first one out of the way? Now, now you had fought in the American league. You obviously fought in junior and you fought in preseason games, but now it's, now it's for keeps. And is there a, is there sort of a sense of relief getting that first one out of the way? Yeah, I think so. On the big stage. Yeah. I mean, anything for the first time, anytime you put yourself out there, I guess you got to, a lot of bad things can happen. You know, everybody <laughs> thinks these guys are, you know, nothing. They're, I mean, these guys, there's not one guy there that doesn't have what it takes to knock you out, you know, yeah. um, embarrass you. And, you know, it's just a matter of you just got to, I guess, man up and make yourself do it and will yourself to to make it happen if that's what you think's right. So Now, um, next up, and you've mentioned it a few times, was your fight with John Cordick and uh, – in, in a situation like that, you might not have been looking for it, but you you did what your job was because he actually had bumped Clint Malarchuk behind the net. Now, I think for, for some people, that's that's a tactic that a, a player can use if he wants to fight someone. Let's say a guy's skating around, you're trying to get someone to fight, you have no takers, but now you got all that energy, you got all that adrenaline. Well, the quickest way to, to get someone to fight is by uh, running their goalie, and he didn't run Clint. But he did give him a little bit of a nudge. And, of course, you were in the area. And uh, at that point, that's what you had to do, correct? 
I, it wouldn't have mattered what he did to me in that fight. I was going in there because I think I even might've been the furthest away at the time. I just, as soon as I saw him kind of sweeping the boards behind the net and hit Clint, I mean, that to me was, holy shit, here's an opportunity. And I was, you know, I, Hey, I did not win the fight. You know, it wasn't even much of one, but you know, there was nobody, you know, I'm not the bravest guy, but I, that was an opportunity for me. I mean, you're at home, pretty, pretty tough guy, the whole bit. And, you know, he wants to run the goaltender or bump into him or, you know, flex his muscles, then take the opportunity no matter what the result is. Now you're, you're a hockey lifer and, and you're still involved in the game now. Um, and you've seen the transition that the, the way the game has gone. Um, and I, I think you and I are, are very much on the same page in terms of aggressiveness. And uh, I, I laugh when I hear people talk about rivalries now in the game, because I honestly don't think there are any more rivalries, even for someone like myself here on Long Island. They talk about the Islander Ranger rivalry. It's not. Everyone's pals now. Everyone's Instagram friends, all this other <laughs> stuff. And so be it. No. But at that point, you're you're a young kid on the Nordiques, and now you're jumping headfirst into that rivalry with Montreal, which to me, um, there are three rivalries that stand head and shoulders above them all. That's the Islanders, Rangers, Nordiques, Canadians, and uh, the Battle of Alberta. And and likewise, the whole Norris division at the time was a rivalry, any game between any of those teams. Um, was there a, a noticeable difference for for you and maybe some of your younger teammates because it always seemed like Quebec always had the younger players Montreal always seemed to have more of a veteran squad uh now Montreal's coming into your barn and this is your first real experience playing Montreal in a regular season game was there a noticeable difference uh for, for maybe you and your teammates uh with them coming in yeah your instincts are, are heightened for sure yeah yeah it is I mean you 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 can get the feeling just from the kind of the, the, the fans that, and again, back then there was a tension. It was going to happen, yep. you know, and that's why I've got into a little bit is it's, uh, I, I certainly am not bitter about anything, but you know, the kids get, you know, handled so much differently now. Mm-hmm. Um, they get put into good situations and I, I can remember going, this ain't a good situation, <laughs> you know, for a lot of us, you know, and I, it just, it was like more, and so be it, thrown to the wolves. And that's why sometimes I get a little angry when kids today get, you see, you know, extra chances and, oh, it's not in them yet and the game's changing and stuff. But, I mean, for guys that have played back in the 80s and not set, well, even before, it's just, man, it was brutal. Like, you you minded your P's or Q's. I, I mean, I've seen some guys, you know, it's never justified, but, I mean, I've seen some of the guys I played with do some awful aggressive things and i guess maybe i did too but it was almost accepted and now it's just everybody's just disgusted and, mm-hmm. and that's so it kind of makes me feel like it's a, it might be a little easier path although it's all skill now right right well i i think it's easier and again i think you're we discussed that uh certain things were for a completely other podcast and i, I think this is uh, another topic that is but i think it's it's easier like you say the skill level is is still off the charts but yeah. you know i i think players back then you had to go through uh, many more hurdles you had to go through the gauntlet uh to succeed so um Again, that's another uh, that's another show, but uh, <laughs> but but we got to you know we got to talk about this. Please tell me you remember, and I think you you mentioned it also. 
scoring a goal against Patrick Waugh. I mean, that uh, that night you had a fight and you scored on Patrick Waugh. I mean, that's that's a pretty good career for some people. But I can tell you, thank God there are no cell phones. <laughs> thank God. Because, I mean, I yeah, the opposite of arrogant. I would have texted every one of my buddies <laughs> and just sent it to them. Yeah, that was... Yeah, no matter, no matter really how it went, you know, yeah, you kind of feel good about it. You know, you kind of feel like you passed the test, I guess, and maybe got a little bit of respect. Like I say, it's not like I beat him up, but, you know, showed up and that's So, yeah, I mean, like I say, I, I thank God. I got a couple stories why I thank God there were no cell phones, <laughs> but that was one where I thought there should have been. Well, I wish and, there was. Yeah, <laughs> and here here's the thing about the sport back then. And again, I, I know you pretty well. I know you're not an, an ego guy. But even if you were, for any player that just fought an animal in John Cordick, scored a goal against Patrick Waugh, there was no resting on your laurels because the next night you were going to the forum. So you, you, it's not like you could sit there and, and bask in the glow of that two-thirds of the Gordie Howe hat trick because the next <laughs> night you were jumping on a bus and you were going into the forum. And I, like I asked you for a young kid, Montreal coming to town to play you guys at the Coliseum, what was it like getting on that bus going into the forum? I mean, the fabled forum, what was that like? history like you just saw it and that i think that's almost that might have been one of the times or time period where i really started appreciating the history of some of these programs you know you start you know it's just so well advertised there when you get there you feel like you're walking into a museum a place that's sacred you know and then we've talked about it you played six games you end up getting sent down again and and you've talked about you know it was a little confusing at the time, so be it. Um, you fought a guy, uh, I think you may have may have got a couple of games with Vancouver, and I'm only asking because you fought him twice within a 10-day span. That's Peter Bakovic, who was with Moncton at the time. Uh, was there any anything going on with you and Bakovic, or was it just a situational thing? There's nothing going on. I mean, I don't have any ill will towards him or anything. I think he just was... Sometimes you just need a willing participant, right? And, you know, without taking a bad penalty or whatever. But I don't, yeah, I almost, I don't really even remember the fights, really. But um, I do remember the name for sure. New customers, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. Bet just $5 to score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700 on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. In West Virginia, gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. All games regulated by the West Virginia Lottery. Please play responsibly. In partnership with Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Reese's. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. 
21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Max bet $50. 10-plus legal requirement for 100% boost. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash baseball terms. We'll go into next season, and and now it seems like we're going to start talking about some players um, who I, I think the, when we already talked about, obviously, Bird Dog, because um, you played with him in junior. But now it seems like we're getting into the Fredericton Halifax time where you start playing with a bunch of guys that can only be described as characters. So I want to I want to give you three names. Um if you could just give me some memories about playing with them. Um, the first guy is, uh, this is just a massive human being, Scott Shaughnessy. Scott Shaughnessy, I lived with him. Um, great guy, huge, huge dude. He And he he wanted to fight, too. He was always willing. Um, yeah, man, some stupid shit we did. <laughs> he had a four-wheel, he had a four-runner, and I had a Jeep. And honestly, Joe... Um, I don't give a shit. We, we bought, we started out, we went and bought BB guns, like the hand pistol BB guns. Mm-hmm. And then we were, we went out into the woods with our, with our vehicles. And then what we would do is we'd dress up and we, we fucking start hunting each other down and shooting <laughs> each other. So we used to come back and, and like, it was fucking like shit, the holes in your cotton coming out of your jacket and stuff. And then it just, it grew and we got a couple more guys. So next thing you know, that's all we were doing was going way out into with four by four and getting stuck and so forth. But then this one game we'd have, so we'd go get McDonald's almost right after practice. Mm-hmm. And we would come home, at, it was getting dark. And we were literally like having teams of two and three guys and going out and hunting each other down. So, I mean, it would be awful if you got hit with, like you get hit with it on a cold day in the leg with a BB, it hurts like hell. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah, so it was, uh, yeah, Shags was cr- kind of a crazy guy that way, but, you know, I think he's home smoking cigars, doing pretty well with his business right now, but uh, great teammate, but, yeah, I always, he probably thinks I'm the same, but, yeah, he was a little bit nuts in that, in that regard. And and I think you've told me that story before, and you don't want to leave out. There was the third member of the Three Stooges, wasn't it? your other roommate, Mike Natashak? Wasn't he part of this too? That one hundred percent. Yeah, now there, yeah, there's another guy, really smart guy, everything. But yeah, I, well, I was thinking these guys from college. That was my first time. I thought, oh, these guys will be nerds. <laughs> absolutely not. They were absolutely hilarious. But I mean, some of the Jesus, I can remember coming home some nights and shags it. This is how long it was. Salada tea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Used to have those little tiny animals, figurines. And I can remember coming home and the two of them, like, were sitting there and they're <laughs> holding their guns up and <coughs> just pinging off these things and they'd chip and fly all over. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? You know what I mean? And they were dead serious about this. I just shot a deer. <laughs> I just shot a kitty cat. <laughs> and yeah, they were just, yeah, they were both crazy guys, but they were both awesome teammates and fun. 
Well, I'm glad you said crazy guys, because I think the next two guys I want to ask you about, they could compete for maybe two of the biggest characters ever. Uh, one is Jacques Mayotte. What do you remember about playing with Jacques? I remember Jacques as a guy who just, I saw him fight one time and he got cut for eight stitches and I went in and I went in, hey, Jacques, good fight. He wasn't even bleeding. <laughs> it's like he didn't have blood in his body or something, and he, but he was, and, and, you know, Jacques came from senior hockey. I, I think he is a real story. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's the, that whole movie, The Goon, could be about him. I've seen him get cut. I've seen him get hurt. I've seen his, I've seen his head get split open in a brawl, and he put a towel on his head and went right back out. He def, he defined, I, I think, slap shot, if that's the way, or the the goon. What he would do, and he, and all he, he just loved his teammates. Like he just he came every day, and he was just willing to fight, do whatever it takes. And he was. I fought him a couple times after, and he he is tough. <laughs> I want to, I want to just say something that you just said, which I think is pretty amazing. Because there's a few guys, uh, I think when people down here in the states they hear senior hockey, they think of like over 65 guys, and that's just not how it is. And senior hockey in Canada is is legitimate. And a guy like Jacques makes the NHL after playing senior hockey. Um, people that know the Robert's brothers, they know they played senior hockey. Uh, someone who I'm a massive fan of, Jerry Fleming, he came from senior hockey. I, I want people, and, and you're a good guy to, to really emphasize this, to make, to make the NHL after playing senior hockey, that is an unbelievable achievement, isn't it? I, I didn't know where this guy came from. Man. Yeah. I, I didn't even know what that was back then. Mm-hmm. This guy just showed up, and it wasn't hard to tell what his role was. You just need yeah. to look at him. I mean, his hands were hanging, long arms hanging down, looked like cinder blocks for hands. I mean, he... I mean, how do I say this? Because I love the guy. Yeah. He didn't look like the brightest. He had those saggy eyes. <laughs> and I just got, holy fuck, what did we just bring in here? <laughs> and he lived He lived up to what they brought him in for, for sure. Well, he obviously couldn't have been the brightest because they put the three smart guys together. You, Shaughnessy, and Natashek, you all lived. They put all the smart guys together in the same house, right? Well, I think we were drawn to each other more than anything. I don't think they had any choice. <laughs> they may have went, holy shit, what are those three living together? We might have a problem. But, you know, when I say it was all innocent, we had course, just fun that course. people would say was more irresponsible than anything. But, you know, they were they were solid guys. Uh, you're, you're three young 20-year-old guys. There's a lot worse things you could have been doing than shooting little figures with BB guns. Yeah, shooting I mean, each other wasn't, but we yeah, we graduated yeah. To, to rifles and shotguns, but yeah, that <laughs> didn't do any good either. We actually thought we were going to shoot a, shoot something, you know what I mean? Like yeah. we were going to go hunting and shoot a deer or something. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to have aspirations, right? It, we, but we didn't do anything. We just like, right. and I can remember even going and we'd think we were sitting there hiding for a deer and, and then I'd get bored and talk and Shags would be like losing his mind. You got to shut up. <laughs> and I'm going like, we're not going to get anything, bud. Like, and he was just so focused on that. In fact, I think he shot a rabbit and I think he brought it home. And actually I was thinking of this between our talks. I just remember walking in the house and it's stinking so bad. I don't even think he knew enough to like gut it or anything. I think he just went to the sink and just started ripping the thing apart. And I go, it just was horrible experience. 
Oh my God, that's great. And then the third guy I want to ask you about, uh, the madman, Max Middendorf. Mad Max, what do you remember about playing with him? Max was the gr- Max was the nicest guy ever. He was a t- great teammate. He was always in a good mood. He was just unbelievably talented, uh, tough. Um, it just the way he carried himself, he was just always, I felt funny. Like he'd talk sometimes in third, like, third person uh, you know he'd be taping a stick and he'd say shit like i don't even know why i'm doing this all i'm gonna do is take this over somebody's fucking head tonight <laughs> the scary thing is is he might do it right yes. he didn't ever knew yep but max could go out and dangle and play and look like the best player on the ice and he could be back checking some guy could say something to him and you know max could just lose it and then if i said you know if you ever went up to him, even as his buddy, and said, "What, Jesus Christ, Max? What are you doing? You're playing good hockey. Why would you do something so stupid?" He 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 quote, he goes, "I'm announcing myself, my presence with authority." <laughs> and I, like fuck, you couldn't not. So you could, you had to laugh. I mean, mm-hmm. he just did this, but it, all the time. But you know, you know, at the end of the year, I remember him laying down in the road and. He literally was laying down the road in front of the elbow room bar. And I said, what, what the fuck are you doing? And he was waiting for bird dog. I'm saving his parking spot. <laughs> like he, he had no problem doing this stuff. Didn't matter who was watching anything. Yeah. He, and, and again, I don't know the time I spent with him was all harmless, but it was absolutely priceless. That's excellent. Just the two of them, him and Max and a couple yeah. of the other guy. Oh God. It was, yeah. Well, this year, your second year pro, you firmly established yourself. Um, you fought some pretty tough guys that first year, but this year uh, you played on a pretty tough team. You led the team in penalty minutes. You had 36 points as well, by the way. I'm going to always keep harping on the fact that when you had a chance to play, you actually put some points up there. So I don't want to – I know you're modest and everything, but 36 points, 55 games. But if you want to take the rest of the podcast and talk about my 36 points, I will, or even my eight goals. <laughs> uh, you had 12 goals that year, my friend, 12. Okay, right on. There you go. Well, we, we could get to that, but I, I got to throw some of these names out at you because um, you fought some tough guys the year before, but this year, um, well, let, let's just say some of these guys were, were massive human beings. Let's throw out a first name, guy that you might remember playing against, and that's Wayne Van Dorp. He's a pretty big, intense guy. you remember matching up against him? Yeah, I was in Chicago, I think. Well, this think is we... back. It, it, we're still in the American League. This is Nova Scotia, Wayne Van Dorp. Jeez, it probably didn't go good, but there's not much recollection. <laughs> well, well here, here's what I'm going to do. Let me throw out some names because these are these are established guys that people, even if they didn't follow the American League, they know them from the NHL. And you got called up this year, so I'm going to talk about the first first half of the year in, in um, Fredericton. So I'm going to throw out some names. If anything hits you, you could discuss it. If not, and I understand this was a long time ago. But just to give people an example, you had Wayne Van Dorp, who people would know from Chicago, also later on played some games with Quebec, uh, Mike Hartman, uh, Perry Anderson, Chris King. These are some guys you fought your fir- the first half of the year of the year. Um, None of them are uh, are little guys. None of them are are not super tough. Uh, any recollection of fighting any of those guys? Yeah, I think Kinger. I think Kinger. He was always a tough, and I kind I kind of knew him. But I mean, 
I don't remember how it happened, but I mean, I think it was something neither one of us could avoid unless we were going to play the buddy card. And that, you know, that wasn't really an option back then. And, you know, uh, so I think that one, and I'm trying to think of, uh, uh, mention the other name again. There was, well, we had Van Dorp. We had Mike Hartman, who I think you met up with a few times up in the NHL as well. This, I think was the yeah, first time. In junior, in junior yep. I fought Mike and, and then, in, and then in, in Quebec, I think. Uh, something happened this season, and, and you alluded to it earlier when we were talking about Jacques. Uh, you were not a main participant in this, but one of the most famous bench-clearing brawls, um, at least in the American League, and the American League has had its share, uh, in Springfield, you you were, uh, you were I guess you had a great, uh, great view of it. Like I said, you didn't really get involved too much, but that you had mentioned Jacques with the towel around his head. Uh, you had guys in that brawl, like uh, I guess the two main participants were uh, for Springfield were Mick Vakoda uh, and Dale Henry, who I believe was the one who split Jock open with a headbutt. And um, what do you remember about that fight? And if I'm not mistaken, it actually started with um, your coach was was um, talking to some of the Springfield players. Gordy Lane, who was the coach of Springfield took exception to it they started to have words and then all hell broke loose what do you remember about that brawl um i don't remember a ton about it but i do remember uh, shags and vakota going at it um i remember a lot of guys fighting mm-hmm. but i remember a lot of guys and i think even me like you know once you get, even we're fighting with a guy you know as you got tired you just yeah. you'd look across and you know instead of keeping going you'd say to the guy your partner was just holy shit, look at over there. So he'd turn over and we're both going, this is getting ugly. You know what I mean? So I'll be honest. I I, I don't like that shit because mm-hmm. I, I always trusted myself or I kind of wrote my script and I think I abided by it that I'd never taken advantage of a guy. Mm-hmm. And I, at that point, I didn't trust everybody. So I, I didn't, you know, you slip on a dime and go down. You don't know if some kid's going to, say, hey, I can look like a champ right now and do something. So I, I always, and it may sound horrible, but I, I, I was always a little bit more comfortable when it was only wave one fight. When you get a whole bunch of them, I just think some guys at that point may not have known when to stop or whatever. So, And when I was watching Jock, like that was just over the top. I mean, I think, it, yeah, Dale Henry, I think, had butted him. Mm-hmm. And the gash in his head was huge. Yeah. And, I mean, he'd wrapped a towel around his head. And he went back out, and it just got redder and soaked and sopped, and it just, that's what I mean. I mean, when you can make yourself do that, I mean, you call it crazy, I, I, I don't. I, I, to me, that was just nothing but loyalty to his team. Mm-hmm. That's his role, and he was going to do his role to the best of his ability, and that was the opportunity. And I guess he sent the message because there were an awful lot of people that remember that brawl, you know, and it was, he was, he, he was every part of it, really. And I think people, you know, people that know fighting, follow fight, everyone kind of associates hard heads with, say, Ty Domi. Um, Dale Henry has a has a historically hard head. I think if people had had listened to any of my episodes on Coliseum Chronicles with guys who've played with Hank, um, if you do not want to get headbutted by Dale Henry, that is a guy with a very very hard head. So, uh, so that was, uh, you know, but like to to Jock's credit, like. He, he didn't get. He didn't stop him. It was like he stunned him for a minute. Then he put the towel on. He he went right back in. And to your point, I was never a huge fan of the bench clearing brawls myself. I think 
they, I think they, the purpose of them, not the purpose of them, but what would happen is they'd show them on TV, on the news, and that would give the anti-fighting crowd more ammunition. And the reality is, even though you, you have 40 guys on the ice, there may only be two or three fights, and the rest of it are guys paired off just making sure nothing else happens. It was very rare where you had a full-scale Donnybrook. Um, I, I agree with you in that sense. I was never a huge fan of them. I, I was always worried. You never know. There's so many guys out there, which means there's so many skates out there. Guys could get cut. An accident could happen in the blink of an eye. So you and I, I think, are on the same page as far as the brawls go as well. Yeah, the tough guys don't. I mean, I, I'm sitting there the whole time you're thinking, and I don't know any other way to see. There's a guy on Sherbrooke, big, huge, uh, huge black guy. I Fletcher. Forget his name. Steve Fletcher. Steve Fletcher. Mm-hmm. Steve Fletcher and I squared off in Fredericton in the playoffs. We both exchanged some good punches. I went down on my back. He landed on top of me, and he pulled his hand up. And he called the ref. I hit my head on the ice. Mm. And I I went over after that game and thanked him. And I can remember, I think I saw a Facebook. I, I, I think I did one time. I'm not a Facebooker. And I think I just might have said to him, hey, I still remember that, what you what you didn't do. Yeah. You know, you did And I that's to me is just the way it should be. But you can't guarantee it is. And like when I think of that, with my head on the ice, one punch with, you know, you know, I'm, I'm dumber than I am now, you know, and that's, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's, you don't sometimes get through that stuff, like a punch with your head solidly on the ice. So I guess that's why I go with the brawls is, you know, one-on-one fight, you can't, you can't make sure there are guys like that. And mm-hmm. if you don't, can't trust them and there's no refs, then you're, you fall into that situation. But and I think that speaks to a guy like Fletcher, a guy, a veteran. Well, back then he may not have been too much of a veteran. You guys were all young back then, but a guy who had done that job uh, for his whole career, and he understands the role, and he has you in a, in a bad spot. And like say, you hit your head, you're bleeding. There's no reason for him to keep going. And I think in a brawl situation, the tough guys know what to do, when to do it, when not to do it. Now you have you really have 30 other guys out there that aren't used to this and you never know what happens when the adrenaline takes over. So um, I'm not surprised in the least by that story about Fletcher. No, that's exactly no, what I would expect. And like you say, that uh, he had my respect right there. And, and, you know, I think that needs to be mentioned, but yeah, you're right. There's some guys that are like scared dogs out there and they're the ones that are biting. Now you around the Christmas holidays, this was uh yeah, called up to Quebec right before Christmas this year. You played eight games. Uh, we've already talked about a, a bunch of your teammates that you played with uh, this season uh, in previous years, but there was a, a guy that you played with who uh, is near and dear to my heart as, as he's now the head coach of my favorite team, the Islanders. And I think uh, Lane Lambert, we could kind of put him in that category with, uh, you know, Mike Eagles, uh, Mike Hoff, where they, they didn't do it for a living, but when, when they would fight and they had no problem doing it, they were actually pretty good and they wouldn't let anyone take advantage of their teammates. And he's a pretty good player too. Uh, what do you remember about playing with Lane? I remember Lane as being a good player. Um, but more, I remember him as one of the guys that I always was going, geez, he's really good to the younger guys. Like I remember 
It could be me, Kenny McRae, David Laddin. It was, you know, Laner would always be, hey, come on, guys, let's go do this or let's go do that. He included us in everything, went out of his way to do it. And, you know, I guess he's doing well as coaching because he's, you know, he's he's got competitiveness. We've got some compassion. Like, I found him a real personable guy and real good team, real good teammate. And I feel like I'm a broken record player. But most of the guys that get up to that point are. Yeah. They really are. Yeah. Well, that's the running theme with a lot of the interviews I do because, um, well, first of all, I think hockey players in general, um, especially back in the era that we're talking about, you know, they're, with the except, they're always going to have egos in any line of work. But for the most part, the guys that uh, I interview and, and the guys that I talk about in the interviews with my guests, they're all lunch pail type guys. They're, you, you've all grown up a certain way. You appreciate hard work and you don't take anything for granted. So, you know, saying a guy is a good guy, that comes up all the time, and it's no surprise. So Yeah, and I mean, I think that's that's a, that's a lot of times, is, and I say that to my own son, I say it to my kids when I coach them, I said, guys, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't, when I look back, I mean, yeah, I knew the good players, I knew, you know, like, but, you know, what I most remembered, and I, maybe it's selfish, but how they treated me, how they treated the other guys, and that's how I remember them. If a guy scored 50, he could still be a complete asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I just found that the that's how I remember most of my guys is how good a teammates they are. And I, I guess that's near what I was trying to strive for near the end was just, you know, I get it. I'm not going to make it here, you know, but that doesn't mean it's all lost. You can still try and be a good teammate and, you know, contribute to your team and be a part of something special. And, and that's, and that's what it is. I mean, I don't think anybody gets out of hockey gets that, that same feeling of being a part of a team competing so hard and viciously against another team. Like you don't get to do that in real life. And that's it's special. So and that's when you when you come out. Mm-hmm. So you're judged. Now I already mentioned how one of the things I most respect about you and your career is is the type of player that you were and, and you were that type of player on the road as well as home and how you always seem to, man, in the toughest place to play, one of them, Boston Garden, you were always there and you always showed up. So uh, right after New Year's, you guys were in Boston. Um, you had your first fight of the trilogy of the Bob Sweeney and Trevor Steinberg trilogy. You had your first fight with him. Uh, in that game, it also featured uh, a pretty good uh, tag team match. Uh, Gord Donnelly, Jay Miller. I mean, how many times did you see those two guys fight each other? And uh, oh. Willie Plett and Stephen Finn. So those games were always fun to watch for a fan, those old Quebec-Boston games. This was a, this one <laughs> was just one of those games that didn't disappoint. you remember that? Yeah, I remember fighting Don a few times. and the big, He was so big guy. And I, I guess, I, you know, you never want to get into it with a smaller guy. And I just, you know, I knew he wasn't necessarily heavyweight, but we clashed a couple times and, you know, he seemed just as eager as me. So, I mean, it was, you know, you just had to do it because that rivalry was there. So it just seemed like it was a point in the game where it was just one team got ahead by a goal or two and okay, something has to happen. And usually I took the lead from Gordy, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and I remember even Bruce Shoebottom. Like, I mean, yeah, when I think of going in that rink a lot of times, and I actually do have a joke that got me in shit, though. Well, can you say it or, or not yeah, say yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I can. Okay. I was, uh, we went out the one night, and I, and I whatever, I, I, I think I got in a fight. I mean, I obviously probably didn't get any points or anything, but <laughs> for some reason, I think we won in Boston. 
And I think it might have been, I got called up for it because it was kind of my fourth game. It might have been my fourth game in four nights. I mean, my Thursday, Friday, Saturday, got called up for Sunday. And I was, they were staying overnight in Boston. So there's Michelle Goulet, there's the Stastny's like couple, and they actually went out. So I just was hanging with them. And, you know, we had a couple beers, and I was coming out of the office. Or I was coming out of the office. I was coming out of the bar. And I will say, there are plenty of times when I had, I was full. I was not full. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to have more beers, but we were going home. Mm-hmm. I slipped on some ice coming out of the bar. Oh, boy. Yeah, and I said, fuck, that's the most ice I got all night. <laughs> Goulet started laughing. Goulet started laughing. Then they all started laughing. Well, I got I got home. We got home the next day, and um, Ron the Point called me and <laughs> said, "What the fuck?" And he started just reaming me out about this. You going out get drunk and shit like that? And I said, "I swear to God, it wasn't Elvis." he just started laughing. <laughs> he said, "That's how long it takes you to get a bad reputation," and because he was joking, because he said, "All I heard from the boys in the fight ass was coming out of the bar, he slipped and fell." Well, I did, but when I said that most ice I got all night, they thought it was funny, so they go and tell the coach. Yeah, like, you should see this was. So, anyways, that scared the shit out of me. But I actually think I went down right after that, though. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it did have something to do with it, but you never know. Yeah, I can remember that because I, I said, man, I wish I wouldn't have said that, even as a joke. <laughs> wow, but you know what? You got a good story out of it, and we'll get to your post playing career later but i'm sure that's a story that you probably have relayed to some of your younger players over the years i would bet but we can uh we can talk about that a little bit later now i want to talk about something that i didn't see very often and obviously i didn't see all the games that you played but you're always a pretty even keeled guy when you're on the ice but this night in boston after you had fought sweeney um you had another skirmish with somebody named Randy Burridge who may have gotten the jump on you, and boy, were you pissed. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do, because, I mean, I wasn't, yeah, I mean, we're talking about something that had nothing to do, like, you know, why, I mean, I didn't think I did anything wrong. I mean, I didn't jump at anything, and I don't know, he just kept, like, attacking me verbally, and I didn't really get at what he was, so, I mean, you know, just shut up, you know what I mean? What, what are you talking? But then all of a sudden, yeah, he just next thing I know, I was on the ice. And I was like, what the fuck? You know, so I don't think that was characteristic of him. So I don't know. You know, you don't know if his coach is mad at him or whatever. But yeah, I that I was mad just because nobody wants to be jumped. And then, you know, let's face it, a win or a loss, you look like you're down there getting your face beat in and really had no choice in the matter. But yeah, at the time I was mad, you know. But I think I just was like, that's not that's not cool, you know. Well, the the uh, looking back on it now, if you go back on YouTube and watch the video, you were so pissed that they got Burridge out of there. And uh, Ron Asselstein, he literally was trying to hold you down. He had his one leg over you while you were on the ice, and you could literally see him trying to hold you down with his leg. I guess getting Burridge away from you off the ice, and he's using all his strength in his leg to keep you down just to get Burridge away from you. So. <laughs> Well, thank God I didn't fight the ref. He was stronger than me to keep me down. <laughs> oh, that's why I don't think he used his upper body. That's why I think he used his leg to get keep yeah, me down well, there. Yeah, I, I do kind of remember that. But yeah, it was again. I could have reacted better than that. I mean, it wasn't like I was wasn't like I was hurt. I was probably just more embarrassed at the end, thinking, you know, 
if anybody just walked in, saw me on my back, I think I got knocked out or something. Right. But yeah. Yeah. Just like I say, you go back to, if you're going to fight a guy, I mean, I don't want to win if, if, if I had to get a jump on a guy, mm-hmm. you know, right. I'd rather, I'd rather lose a good fight and do it right. than to, to walk away saying I won and, you know, I jumped a guy, but I don't, you know, I don't look back at Randy Burge and say, okay, that's the type of player he was. Right, he wasn't right. like mm-hmm. Now, um, as we mentioned, you did get sent down, but you got sent down to now Fredericton was a good team, but I think a lot of times with championship caliber teams, it's not always the most talented team. It's just that something clicks and it just guys go on runs, teams goes on teams go on runs. And this is the year that, that Fredericton made it all the way to the Calder Cup finals. Uh what was it like? you know, leading up to the finals and just once you're, once you start the playoffs, like, was it, did it, did you guys just feel unbeatable or was it just something that clicked to, to get that run? Because I mean, you know, the professional athletes know better than anybody. Championship runs just don't happen too often. And this year you guys made it all the way to the Calder cup final. Yeah, that was a really awesome year. Like I, I, I think I learned a lot about myself. I think all the guys did at that point of what you can do. We caught fire. Now we did get beat for a four straight, but Hershey had caught just a bigger, almost a tsunami of a wave, you know, that way but we caught a wave. And I think we just had everybody, everybody doing whatever it took. I, that's all. That's really all I remember. I, I remember ice bags. I remember days off where it was like, oh, God, I don't even know if I can go on the ice. I'm dying right now. But, the, but you know, 24 hours later, nothing hurt. You know, you were just beat up. And, yeah, I, I think that kind of proved to a lot of guys at that point because a lot of guys would, were trying to even take on different roles, you know, to toughen up to play in that series to try and get the win and, you know, win the, win the championship. Let's talk about just, – just to make this a point of reference to how different – uh, playoffs back then are from playoffs now. So you played 13 games. You had three goals, three assists, six points. You had 115 penalty minutes in the playoffs that year. And that includes, let me count, one, two, three, four, five, six. You had eight fights. Uh, yeah, you had eight fights in the playoffs that year. Uh, and, and I'm just going to throw out some. This was, you know, you fought Steve Fletcher. Uh, you fought Sergio Burge at least once, maybe twice. Uh, and even in the finals, you had two fights, Kevin McCarthy, Don Knockbauer. So, boy, times have changed, haven't they? Um, Don Knockbauer, I got in a fight with him. and yep. I, actually, I actually said to him, I said, you know, Don, it was your best fight, but I, I'm not saying I won it, but I did okay. And the next year in camp, we played Philadelphia, and I fought him again, he, and he he didn't bite. He, he did. He bit my ear. I'm looking at, I know I should be looking here. I'm looking at another TV. He bit my ear. Like he just nipped it. So 10 years after that, I'm a coach in St. Mary's. I'm recruiting. He's out in Seattle. I phone him up and I go, snack. Trevor Snyder. He goes, hey, how you doing? I said, good. I said, just phone and no reason. I just, you bit my fucking ear. You remember that? He laughed. He said, I remember taking a little nibble. Just let you know I was around. But yeah, that was, that stood out as funny. But yeah, that playoffs was yeah, that meant a lot to us. You know, we were we were a pretty tight group. There were a lot of extra guys, but the group was pretty special. And, it, yeah, it was good. It was fun. Isn't that what Mike Tyson said about Evander Holyfield? He took a little nibble? 
That's what I should. I should phone snack up and just that, that face of it. Tell him, yeah. But yeah, I couldn't believe it. Like I couldn't even like it didn't hurt. It right. just was like, you did that, dude. Like, like you just bit me and he, he didn't give a shit, right? He just laughed. <laughs> but no, he's uh yeah, that was a tough playoffs. There were some tough guys. Mm-hmm. Now we get to uh 88-89, and this is the dream. I mean, you go to training camp after that long run. So Obviously, your your summer was a lot shorter because you made the run to the Calder Cup final. Your summer is shorter. Now you go to training camp, and now you find out after camp. And we mentioned you mentioned you fought Donnie Knockbauer in the preseason. You actually made the team out of training camp. Uh, what is that? Because you know what? Look, you didn't have an easy road to the NHL. You've played. You had cups of coffee here and there. You played games here and there. But now you're actually you you find out you're making the team out of camp. Uh, is that just a sense of relief? Is it a sense of accomplishment? What's going through your mind when you find out you've made the roster? It's relief. It's con- it's good for your confidence. It was everything, but I don't. I'm not sure. I and maybe it's just my personality. I don't think I was ever comfortable. I always knew that, you know, you're just a decision away. We've seen lots of guys get a place and get sent down, but you know, you're you're always kind of kept on your toes and so forth like that. But it was, yeah. The- time to get a place it just yeah it was just kind of like thank god you know this is it was a pretty good feeling yeah now there are a couple of other characters that you played with on this team but before we get to those guys i want to talk about a player uh an amazing player um we've already talked about the stastny brothers you talked about michelle goulet um now you, you were you're um playing with joe sackick what a young joe sackick what was it like watching that guy play well, let's just say a couple times, I, like I was his roommate and stuff, and he'd come home from a game with three goals and, <laughs> you know, uh, goose eggs for me. I mean, it, it was just, I, I mean, I'm sitting here going, I'm, I'm rooming with this guy or I'm on the same team. And it's just, he was magic. Yeah. Like, shit he did. You just go, what makes him so good? And he had every game. He's just his deception and his elusiveness and, skill i mean you just you knew you were you knew you were with pretty special company no question but i mean he does he acts like he's quiet joe's yeah. quiet he's a more of a giggler sometimes you know at that point he was pretty young so i was older than him so i you know i made sure i got the remote control and <laughs> yeah i can't say i don't want to say i bullied him but i let him know i was the man in the room and <laughs> so so basically what I'm getting is, you know, you were a huge influence on Joe's career because you took him under your wing that first year, right? I think we, I don't know if you just broke up there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't have anything. If I probably just made him work harder, <laughs> but it, yeah, yeah, that was special, man. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, he was like just awesome. And he just get better and better and better. You know, he just, he just continued to improve. He continued to do things that impressed you even more all the time. And, and yet he was still grounded. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you about two of your teammates this year. One of the stories is uh, from Kenny McRae. And this is, I actually really laughed. I think I laughed out loud at the story when I was reading it, when he messaged me, because it's a, it's a story of comeuppance in a way, and you didn't even have to do anything to get your comeuppance here. Um, so Ken said, Everyone, including me, used to bug Steiny and call him Peahead because he had such a small melon. But one day he grabbed my helmet and tried to wear it, but it was too small for him. 
So uh, he said a thousand apologies, Steiny. Uh, he also said he was the cook in your in the apartment, and you were pretty good. But unfortunately, your pregame budget wasn't very high, so home meals were nothing like the road buffets or when you would get called up to the show or high end restaurants. And he finished it by saying, uh, you're a great guy and you had a lot of fun in uh, Quebec and Halifax. So uh, what do you remember about playing with Kenny McRae? Trigger. He, he, he gave himself the nickname Trigger. Mm-hmm. He, like in practice, he'd go bar down and he'd just say, just pulling the trigger, Stein. <laughs> just pulling the trigger, bud. Yeah I, I, yeah, I was the chef. And back then, that meant rice. You could piece of chicken and nuke, nuke some beans or something. But Kenny didn't complain. He still ate it because he couldn't cook and do anything. But, yeah, we lived in Halifax, and we lived, like, just down the road from the rink. So it was an awesome spot. But, yeah, Kenny was a guy. But he's the same. If you look at Kenny, I mean, Kenny was a good player. Mm-hmm. But it just – I don't even remember if he's that tough in junior. But, man, he, he, he backed down from nobody – when he played in, in, in the American League or the NHL, but, you know, really good player, but just a good old, good Ontario guy, you know, just you know, just reminds you of a farm kid. Like, that's what it does, really. Yeah, he's just a – when I say simple, I don't mean it's smart. He's a smart guy, just really good guy. I recruited his son when I was in oh, Halifax. Yeah? yeah, when I was at St. Mary's, I was recruiting his son um, who ended up going to University of Ottawa. It's funny that you you talked about the similarities because I, I when I was researching your interview I was researching his interview simultaneously and it, it, the similarities between you guys your the road you took um, you know both being first round pick it's very you, your guys road was very similar uh, and and doing the research for both of you guys at the same time I almost had to stop myself a few times to go wait is this for Trevor is this for Ken like it, the road the path is extremely similar for both of you. Yeah, yeah, it was. And like I say, I still even keep a little bit of uh, communication with him when I try to. It's so hard when you're so far away and so forth. But Kenny was one of the good guys for sure, yeah. Um, And I lived with him. I don't know, I think for one full year anyways, but he might have been called up a couple times. Now, you're the chef. Isn't craft dinner like a staple for you Canadian kids? Is that not something that you would prepare also? Um. yeah, yeah, I just didn't let him know. I just would use different noodles, and then I thought I made the three cheese sauce. But um, I don't, you know, some I don't even remember. I, I, I got into cooking. I mean, I mean, I, I remember telling you before, and maybe it was off record, but, you know, I didn't grow up in a hockey family, really. You know, so I was, I was very, I don't know, anxiety, I guess, all the time. You know, I was just. So I just found it. I don't know who it told me, but one of my t- teammates' wives, I think, you know, cooked all the time. So I just an interest, and I, I don't even remember who it was. I just remember really enjoying it, cooking, and so forth. We have lots of time to do it. So, um, and at that point in my life, I ate pretty healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I really did enjoy it. And you know, the guys are all probably making fun of me, thinking, okay, that's not really a great meal, but. They couldn't cook it, so. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't don't complain to the chef because he's the one in control of the food. I, that's why I never send food back. I never, uh, I never complain. You don't want to mess with the person handling the food. No, oh, yeah, and I remember living with Barry Nykar in Springfield, and we had, had we had convection ovens and we had everything going. We just ate like champs. But yeah, I I, I still to this day enjoy cooking. Yeah. 
Uh, to this day, I still enjoy eating. I'm, I'm more of the eater than the, the cooker. Thankfully, uh, Andrea mm-hmm. can prepare some pretty mean dishes, and, uh, and I'm always uh, happy to sit down and eat them like I've never eaten before. Well, so. yeah, I get, I get more th- salads now than I used to, let's just say. <laughs> I like just the way you are, Trev, she says, but there's a lot more salads coming my way. <laughs> there's just more of you to love. That's right. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, another guy I reached out to. Uh, Darren Kimball. And uh, ironically, I reached out to Darren Kimball and someone else who we'll talk about next season. Uh, and I asked him what he remembered uh, about you. And Darren and this other player who we'll talk about, uh, first thing they said is we used to bug him about his chicken legs. Uh, the other thing Darren said is what he, one of the things he remembers most about his time with you is when you went to Hawaii and uh, you sang karaoke and you sang a, a Judd song. Do you remember that? Yeah, I just can't remember the song, but man, when I went there, yeah, we all went Hawaii, Jeff Brown and myself and everybody, but Jeff made Team Canada, so Kimby and I are the only ones that went. Brownie had to pay for all the money for the air tickets, like, we even put money up, you gotta go, mm-hmm. but, you know something, Kimby, that was a, that was a awesome trip, like, he, he stole the moped from a girl, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't Steal it, but he went for a ride for an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Anyways, yeah, that was a that was a pretty after that season. It was a long season in Quebec. That was a really good trip, and Kimby was, yeah, Kimby was a good guy to travel with. Now I've been accused of uh, sometimes over romanticizing sports, uh, hockey, and maybe baseball in particular. So when I ask questions like this, maybe it's just me. Um, up to this point between junior and pro you've had many uh opening nights and season openers uh but you never had one in an nhl rink and this season you you were uh you got to be in the lineup on october 6 1988 and it was at the hartford civic center um again not that you said you ever felt like you made it but this is your first opener in the nhl was it something special or am i just uh over romanticizing it I think you're just nervous. I mean, I don't, that's, I guess, the difference is I probably didn't enjoy as much of my career as I probably should have because I was more relieved or I always felt the sense of relief or disappointment. Mm -hmm. And that's what I would tell kids today is every day you're in the NHL or every day you get the paycheck, enjoy it. And if you're not good enough, as long as you, as long as you work your nuts off, do everything that the team needs. But again, if you're, sometimes those become stresses instead of, times that like you say just sit around go i'm here and i don't think i was i don't think i or a lot of guys do enough of that or maybe they do now but back then i i think some guys just thought hey i'm here and i I gotta figure a way to stay yeah um about a month later there was a game in boston and i think you already mentioned that you ended up tangling with the guy pretty tough guy Lyndon byers and uh He's, he's done some damage to a lot of guys with uppercuts, and unfortunately, he did land a few on you. Uh, and I'm really not so interested in talking about that fight with you as I am about uh, a couple of guys who had a fight later in the game. And one of the guys, again, is Lyndon Byers. Uh, this was the game where him and uh, Bird Dog uh, came out of the penalty boxes to uh, to finish their fight. So do you remember, even if you don't, 
remember too much about your fight with Lyndon Byers. I, I hope you can uh, talk about w- just watching everything go down with Greg Smith and Lyndon Byers, and then them talking in the penalty box, and then them jumping over the jumping over the boards because uh, people may not realize that back then they did not have glass uh, attached to the boards by the penalty boxes, so you could get out whenever you wanted. I vaguely remember. I more remember a video watching him, but I'm going to go back. Is Bird Dog could make himself do anything he wanted. Mm-hmm. He and again, he wasn't. He was not the toughest guy. And for any guy that says, "Hey, I, hey, I beat him," you know, type of thing, I said, "You did." But you know, do you want that thing after you the rest of your life? Because that's how it would be. You know, mm-hmm. you beat Greg. He he'd come. It was. If you pissed him off, he'd never forget it, mm. you know, but he was just, legit, he's legit crazy. Um, well, I'm, you know, I'm sure Max had told you some of the stories, but yeah, Bert, he's a, he's, he is one of the biggest characters I've ever met in my life. Um, I don't know if you remember, you had a fight with Garth Butcher. Uh, he's a pretty established guy by then. And you looked pretty good in that fight. It looked like, uh, you threw a few uppercuts in that fight. Do you remember uh, fighting Garth? I think that might have been in in Quebec. My, actually, I think it might have been in Vancouver. In Vancouver, yeah. yeah. I yep. think that was yeah. We went on a long road trip, and for some reason, I feel like that was attached to the Boston game that I fought Byers, but I don't think. But I can remember kind of being told by the assistant coach, "We need more out of you, you know, and you got to do this." Well, I lucked out and I scored a goal in, on that road trip, one or two goals on that road trip. And <laughs> the guys were like, that was the biggest save from going to the minors I've ever seen. <laughs> but yeah, I can remember knowing that I, you know, I got to, I got to look for it, not wait for it. And mm-hmm. so, you know, again, I not going to go after, you know, 50 goal guys. So I figured, you know, and I never went after him, but I mean, he obliged me was, was Garth Butcher and he, you know, he was going to, you know, mm-hmm. so just pick an honest guy. And like I said, if you lose to a tough guy, it's one thing, but if you go pick a fight with a guy that's not tough and lose, that's not good either. Yeah. It's okay to lose to Garth Butcher. You don't want to lose yep. to Petri Skrico or anything like that. So. Yeah. And I think at that point, Garth had already established himself in, in that game, even as, you know, he's going to play hard. So, you know, it was kind of one of those where I, thought it was the right thing to do, but um, anyways, we did, and I'm not sure I won it, but I didn't, I don't think I lost it. No, you did pretty good. I, I just watched that recently. You did all right. So, uh, um, coaching changes happen in, in sports. Uh, they always say coaches are hired to be fired. You may not know that, uh, you know, with your run in college, but we'll get to that. But um, there was an, uh, unfortunately there was a coaching change this season with Quebec. And, uh, I'm not sure if you remember, I think it was after a game against Montreal, uh, Ron Lapointe, uh, addressed the team that he was stepping down as a coach. He had a tumor in one of his kidneys. Uh, do you remember that? Yeah. And then, and, you know, say what you want. Ron was, Ron was incredibly hard on me in the minors, mm-hmm. like beyond, like he basically made me walk through the wall, um, blind, and after that, he was in my corner. So, um, you know, not only did I miss him as a coach because I felt like he was, you know, in my corner, but at the same time, he brought me through the process. Um, tough love as it was, but so to, to understand that he was 
that ill was was yeah, it was disturbing for sure. Um, later that year, you uh, you had a fight with uh, an ex teammate of yours, a guy who had been traded earlier in the year, and that was Gord Donnelly. Uh, he was with Winnipeg at the time. Uh, you had a fight with him. Uh, were you close with Gord? Uh, is is Gord? Is that a situation where you may have spoken to him before the game or after the game? Not to not to set anything up, but. Um, I don't know at that point in your career how many ex-teammates you may have battled with, so uh, just wondering if you remember that situation. Well, I had no – I remember it. Because, and, again, I'm just going to go back to he got traded. Mm-hmm. I guess I just felt that he's fighting somebody. Yeah. He's fighting somebody, and if I'm standing here and I'm not the one, then maybe, I don't know, look more of an opportunity. I like – Gordon I got along fine. Yeah. I've seen Gord on the the scouting path tons of times, and we joke and laugh and stuff. And I, that's where I think guys know that it's not personal. I mean, yeah. sometimes, but you can kind of tell when a fight's personal because of what they do. But all I remember is Jim Taddy, you know, who was doing local news or somewhere. And Gord, Gord kept hitting me to the left, and I, I, I am going to say they weren't connecting, mm-hmm. but they were throwing me off balance. So I went – down probably three times, got back up, and this Jim Taddy on the news goes, for God's sake, Trevor, stay down. <laughs> so everybody was laughing about that. But, again, you I mean, it was an opportunity in my mind there because they didn't really have any – not remembering, but he was the notable guy they had. He came back in his first time in Quebec, and I just got thinking, well, let's not – you know, if I don't start it, does this look like – if he starts, it looks like he's taking control and taking initiative and so forth. So probably not the way to think, mm-hmm. but that was how Trevor thought at that point. <laughs> now, Trevor, you're, you're an honest player. You were always an honest player. And uh, as I was researching this, going through the video, I am going to admit there was one night. I wish you were not as honest a player as you were. And that was a night in Hartford. You actually had a hold of old Samuelson and uh, he would not oblige you. And I'm not going to lie. I, I wish there. I wish maybe there was an evil side to Trevor because, uh, in all my years of watching hockey, there is not a single player I hate more than Ulf Samuelson. Uh, do you remember grabbing a hold? Now he's a big guy. The thing with Ulf is he's a big guy. He's a strong kid. He just had that suit of armor on, and he didn't always uh, play by the rules. And I'll, I'll always loathe him for that. He could be a good guy. I don't know. Uh, but uh, do you remember grabbing a hold of him that night and uh, him? not wanting anything to do with it. I, I think though, I'll be honest, unless a guy, you know, obliges you, I just, yep. I don't know, just to sucker. I mean, that's what you, that's what you have to basically do to sucker punch a guy. I just not sure that I was willing to do that. And I don't want to sound like a, an angel or. No, committed, no, I get it. I get it's it. Just, it's just something, I guess you write your script before and there's a lot of things you want to be remembered for. Yep. And you're not, sometimes you're not capable all the time of wanting to be re- remember for things that you couldn't do you can't do it right but there's things that you can control and i think that that was just probably one of them i'm not saying that some pretty evil shit doesn't go through my mind mm-hmm. even still today but yeah. you know once you act on it then you're you're judged and you and i always tell my guys you know be who you want to be through your actions so mm-hmm. no that's good hey listen i i'm the first to admit i have uh I have never been a, a big Ty Domi fan his whole career. I've never been a big fan, but I'm not sure he had a bigger fan than I than uh, me that night that he kind of gave off, uh, knocked him out at Maple Leaf Garden. That was, uh, 
You know, I just I, I kind of like the whole frontier justice thing. I'm not embarrassed to say it, and uh, I do respect you for not for not taking uh, taking advantage of him. Uh, you know, I'm I'm only half kidding when I said I wish you weren't as honest as you were. I just think uh, oh some guys deserve it. Let's put it Joe, that way. Joe, it goes through your mind, and I'm not saying they haven't done it. Mm-hmm. It just yeah, it's just one of those where again you're fighting internally with who you want to be and. You know, you're trying to be everything to everybody, but you gotta have some sort of a, yeah, you have to have some some sort of pin to pull this to yep. get rid of the pressure. <laughs> <laughs> now, you played the whole season in Quebec. You played, uh, you know, it's the dream to play, you know, a full season in the show. But Quebec was uh, going through some growing pains at that point. So while you're 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 in the NHL, you're making that NHL money. You're playing in the greatest league in the world. That that had to be a pretty tough time to play to play for Quebec. It was, you know, like I said, they they went through some rough rough uh, growing pains at times, and you were right there for that. How difficult was that? Um, every night in and out, knowing that you might be overmatched in most of the games <coughs> you're going to play. Yeah, I mean that's always hard. I mean people think that that's an opportunity to play. It is, but the only problem is, is you know, the whole team wasn't strong or wasn't in a position to win, which. People can say you're making good money and this and that, but still losing gets to you, and you don't feel good about yourself, especially, you know, it's not like we were, some of us younger guys were at the top of the lineup and had the ability to make change even if we could. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, that was kind of when that Bill 101 was coming out. I don't know if that's even it, where the French and the English were really clashing, and a lot of the Quebec people were, for for the right reasons, trying to protect their their culture and their language and so forth. So, you know, me not talking French, I, you know, you, you get a little bit of hard time. I know nobody probably meant it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, it wasn't like you could just go out and you were signing autographs all over the place, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, you didn't speak the language that was hard. So you just kind of stayed to yourself a little bit and made do. Was that where, and this is something I wouldn't know. So being being in Quebec as an English speaking player, and not speaking French, um, was that always sort of? I, I mean, I can't imagine what the media must have been like. You know, obviously it's mostly French speaking media, if not all. Was that? And I know a lot of times they want you to speak French. Uh, was that ever a bone of contention? Not even necessarily with you, but with some of the other English speaking players, where if you didn't speak the language, maybe the media didn't look upon you favorably. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I think it's fair though, but I think it's fair for the Quebec people to kind of say, Hey, you know, try and learn the language Mm -hmm. at that point in my career, you know, it wasn't like I was guaranteed anything and I should, you know, jump into, you know, first and second year French classes at Laval, you know, I mean, I was, (laughs) it was, when I got up in the morning, I went to the rink mm-hmm. and I went home and then I thought about the next game or the next practice coming up for the most part. I don't know what was going through other guys said. So it really wasn't, you know, me going to learn French or anything like that. And, you know, that wasn't the priority at the point in my career. Mm-hmm. 